Brothers and sisters, welcome back to the XX Mormon Podcast. We are delighted to be gathered here in this beautiful chapel, in this beautiful hall. Unfortunately, no stained glass or other beautiful artwork because Mormonism is incredibly corporate and lame. Uh, today, of course, presiding up on the stand, Bishop Jensen is back, unfortunately. And of course, we are joined once again by Sister the sister the wife of the brother of jared we are delighted to have you both here no she's heavenly mother now <laughs> is she gonna, heavenly yeah i keep getting uncomfortable when you tell me that i'm presiding so now we're joined by the heavenly mother i've ascended so, i was yeah. translated body feminist, and soul feminist housewives who've been trying to argue for that doctrine look no further she's on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we are delighted to have you here. Um, also, these recordings are really weird. I might actually have to do some... I'm watching the things go, and I'm kind of Your worried voice. that I might have to move things around. Anyways. Um, <laughs> don't look at it. Look away. Don't look at it. Okay, look don't look at it. Don't look at it. I don't like I don't have my podcasting equipment right now, so we're, we're doing something away. a little bit different. If you don't uh, see so it, it's just, not real. Exactly. That's exactly how that <laughs> how that works. Um, but isn't that kind of a culty thing? Hmm. Wow. That brings us to today's topic. This is the bite model throwdown. So I'm kind of I'm kind of moderating here. Uh, if I remember correctly, Bishop, you don't think the church is a cult, is that right? Okay. Well, let me say, my experience with the church was less culty. I think it might be because like there are relatively few Mormons where I lived and grew up. I think that the church has very strong cult potential. I think that they haven't had a maniacal enough leader who has had a vision to capitalize on the cult potential. I also observed something on Reddit where Redditors will take one or two criteria of anything and dogpile on it and create a new reality. And so mm -hmm. I want to go through <clears throat> this isn't necessarily a debate, but I just say I'm skeptical of the claim that the church 100% ticks every box on the bite model. And our Heavenly Mother is quite adamant that it does tick every box. So I think this is more of an opportunity for me to learn and kind of have my views challenged on the cultiness of the church. Awesome. Okay. And, okay. and so that was like such so, a sweet way to put it. I was, <laughs> oh, my heart's been kindled, kindled with joy. I was expecting a fight. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to log off and you guys can have like, your hunky dory like, discussion. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that I won't get disagreeable. Like, same, <laughs> well, same. Right? there's it's the bishop we same. know and love. Like, we're going to get disagreeable for sure, but this isn't like I've got a hard line in the sand saying, no, the church absolutely is not a cult. It's just I'm skeptical of that claim. I see a lot of dogpiling on Reddit with that claim. Mm -hmm. I've, I've gone through the criteria more in casual passing than like kind of trying to do an acad academic study to verify. So I'm kind of skeptical of the full-blown cult claim of the church. But I'm willing to have my, my, the scales pulled back from my eyes and my mind open to the, the vision of our Lordess and Savior, Heavenly Mother. <laughs> You have so many titles. Is, wow. Is Lord, is Lord S a term? I don't know. Priestess, goddess. Priestess, yeah, there we just go. Added I, okay. And I think lady. I think like the female. 
No, I the, think or I think the feminine Florida lady, version yeah. of Lord is lady. I think I think female titles are better when they're derivative of male titles. <laughs> <laughs> the English language almost said the F word. I don't know. We're cool. No, we can cuss here, never mind. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, like cuss, cussing is cool. Positive. We're ex Mormon. And you know yeah. what? We're even coffee positive. If you want to drink coffee while doing the show, that's welcome too. Uh, Have you crossed to the dark side or are you still living in the realm of like John Dillon, Exmo Piety. Oh, I no, I to homie. drink alcohol. I, I have plans to try shrooms. <laughs> like, I've, I've worked with someone who has someone. We're going to make it happen. We have so a... I'm, I'm, in the, I'm on the dark side. Where we are, we've got a, um, a cannabis company that's uh, owned by indigenous people. It's They, they grow marijuana on in, farms on indigenous land, and they sell it on indigenous land. So, like, you can get kind of the quantities on edibles are significantly higher than the, the ones you get in town and they sell Hook peyote Hook me you, can buy, you can buy peyote there because certain indigenous groups in british columbia use it as part of their rituals or yeah the, the majority of us have some kind of that's like deep and stuff but look at you shopping from indigenous businesses well, look at y'all decolonizing let me just look say at it happen look at god it's like <laughs> well like let's say it, it's like it's like free market <laughs> decolonization because the one in town it's like you pay 10 gram 10 10 bucks let's say or 20 bucks for one milligram gummies or you can go to the indigenous store and buy pay like 10 bucks for 10 milligram gummies so it's like e. like you know a, a 10 to 1 ratio here on pot to dollars that's why I'm shopping indigenous. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever some shady white business is doing, there. a native yeah. can do it better. I will die on that hill. I will. That reminds me, there was a Native American gentleman who left the church way back in like the 90s or 80s um, who kind of started his own little cult down in native country. Yeah, okay. crazy town, crazy town. So they're definitely, when you said the inspiration for cult, we're just a hop, skip, and a leap away. So ooh. yeah, <laughs> like I said, anything a white he did it better. He made Any, a cold. Anything he a white guy can do. Some <laughs> <laughs> indigenous person would be like, "I hold my beer. I got this." And that was not That's a joke awesome. on alcoholism in the native community because I don't demonize that. Hey, we're not oversensitive here. <laughs> okay, I think just most making sure most of our listeners are ignorant white people. So oh my god. <laughs> Oh, Look at him throwing thing. shade at y'all. Attack. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we throw a lot of shade at our audience, actually. <laughs> oh, my God. I Maybe well, that's I, part of our Mormon conditioning because we used no, to get rebuked I'm quite by our leaders. I'm quite deliberate with it. My pointed criticisms of... Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyways. So uh, we're, we're hopping into the bite model. Do you want to give us a little rundown, like a, a five-second summary on what the bite model is for the ignorant listeners, the ignorant plebs? Me or Elder Jackson? Oh, you, of course. Definitely mother, you. Mother in heaven. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Our mother in heaven. Um, <laughs> so the bite model is a acronym for a model created by Steve Hassan, who's recently got his doctor. So it's Dr. Steve Hassan. Um, he worked with David Lifton, who's the origin of cult stuff. David Lifton was on this long time ago um, after he studied like military brain control from other governments and other countries. 
And he wrote this book about cults that was super academic and kind of hard to digest. But he ended up working with Steve Hassan, who is a cult survivor himself. And David Lifton was like, word, like you really know this stuff. You should do something a little bit more digestible because this is your lived experience um so steve hassan worked really hard and he created the bite model which is behavioral control informational control thought control and emotional control and it's kind of like the criteria that groups use to determine if something is a cult and so steve hassan's big passion is working with human trafficking survivors because the kind of control that though pimps and human traffickers have it mirrors the bite model and fits the criteria and it's also fits the criteria for domestic violence abusers as well so a cult can be a family cult you can have the parents be culty to the kids um there's some horrible examples of that in the news uh google marcus wesson he was a family cult um and then you have corporations can be culty uh religions of you know what an exercise class can meet it um but that's what the bite model is so it goes over um yeah, BIT, behavioral, informational, thought, and emotional. BIT. So, God, I can't even spell. <laughs> so you're a, like you're a social worker and a therapist, right? I'm in, yeah. So I'm going to be a therapist, but I'm under supervision, which is like a doctor's residency, where you have right. two years of being watched. But I did get my master's in social work, so those are my credentials. Well, uh, sorry, I didn't. I did. I wasn't trying to do that whole white man credentializing thing. But, um, <laughs> no, I was. I, I, is, I feel weird when I tell people, so I have to end oh, it like okay. that. Like, yeah, but just because, like, <laughs> I'm looking at the Freedom of Mind website. Like, under a lot of these aspects, there's like 25, you know, criteria <laughs> exactly. points. So I think, like, as we as you go through the criteria points, it's highly likely that you'll be like. My my beer league baseball team employs some of these methods. My workplace does. My wife's kind of like this. My husband's kind of like this. Like, so just because an organization or a group or a relationship touches on some of these things, does that make it a cult? Like, at what point would you say we've hit a cult? Like, we're talking, I guess, as we go through it, we're going to say we've got a green zone, a yellow zone, and a red zone for, for how bad of a, a cult the church is under these criteria, right? So are we saying, like, you know, 10% or less, you're kind of in the green zone. <laughs> I don't know, like 15 to, to 80%, you're in the yellow zone. 80 to 100% of these things run away. Call the cops. I, I, I think we do need the orange zone in there as well, because that 15 to 80% spread is, uh, that's pretty wide. Okay, okay, all right. <laughs> but where's the, okay. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, so basically, like, yes, every organization to maintain some level of control may employ some of these tactics. So just because one or two of these things resonate with your lived experience doesn't necessarily mean every organization you're a part of is a cult. Yes, and fair? I wanted to, yeah. yeah, no, totally. And with behavioral control, I wanted mm -hmm. to address what is red zone versus what's, like, normal. Yeah. So if we want to do that for behavioral control real fast or no? Mm -hmm. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, okay, let's jump so, into it. I have oh, <laughs> I love this. So the behavioral control can be telling people what to wear, what to eat, what to drink. Meh. And that's super common for like a job or your golf club or whatever to have a uniform or a dress code. 
mm-hmm. and other faiths and other religions have sacred items of clothing that they wear. And the difference when it starts to be like a normal religion or a normal organization is the constant con is like the constantness of it. So here's a really good example for women who are Muslim and they wear are their hijabis. They wear the hijab when they are in the comfort of their own homes, when they are asleep, <laughs> when they are only around other women, they usually take their hijab off. Mm-hmm. Same with people that are Hasidic Jewish that have sacred items of clothing, et cetera, so on and so forth. It isn't a constant, constant thing. But in the Mormon church, with our clothing that we were told are sacred, you only wear, you only don't wear that. I told it was like the three S's, right? It was like sex, swimming, or sports. But the rest and is shower. constant. Oh, yeah, showering. Like, you are wearing that when you go to sleep. You're wearing them when you're around other women or other men. You're wearing them at all times. And that's where it's kind of like, <clears throat> like, and then another, th- oh, sorry, you go. Like, I don't see much of a difference between that and the hijab is it's like, I must wear the hijab all the time, except under these certain circumstances versus I must wear the temple garment at all times, except under these certain circumstances. But it's like the privacy of your own home you're still supposed to wear. So for me, I guess it's like the difference but then they, between... they've got to wear it when they go to the Olympics, right? Like, and Nike makes <laughs> a job now. Like, true, so I can take my true, garments true, off true. for sport. Because I just push back because in my mind, like evangelical Christianity, militant Islam, and, and Mormonism are like the three dark terrors creeping over America right now. So, <laughs> over the world. Over the world, <laughs> yeah. in fact. There yeah. could be. That's fair. I just think that the... Also, for a lot of hijabis, for women who wear hijabs, it's a it's a choice, and so not every Muslim woman it, wears them. Like and they can, it's not it's all, the choice that their situation. dad made for them, right? Like it, <laughs> it's just all, like the choice all, that I. I <laughs> that's I, fair. That's that's true. Maybe, but there isn't a consequence. I guess I'm thinking more liberal, more open-minded, more safe, more safe I, situations. I don't know where those like I was in a public speaking class. I had, there was a Muslim girl that I was in middle school, high school, and then ended up in a public speaking class in university with. And she spoke about her choice to wear the hijab. And it sounded exactly like every Mormon I know who talks about their choice to wear the temple garment. And she was choice to be baptized or their choice to be. And it was like, let's say a, a tiny shelf item where I'm like, I'm like, this girl sounds fucked up. And I hear the same things at church. Hey, oh, it's okay. Just, maybe, maybe bad example. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna start whistling past the graveyard here. Just pretend I didn't see anything. This is not like where I go to church. It's completely different. The people I go to church with are white, and <laughs> yeah, exa- we're exactly. Word. Right? The yeah. the Muslim people that I'm referencing are converts, and so their experience oh, okay. was like right. totally a different mm, vibe. Right. Um. But I think that I use that example because when they're around me, these mm-hmm. I see these Muslims women's hair. You know, <laughs> like it's not right, right. like the garments will never come off. But right. uh, so another and, example. Uh, keep going. Uh, j- just just to that point, uh, with it with it being more of a choice for some people and less of a choice for other people, I do have family in the southern United States who don't wear their garments in the summer, right? And there are other people within the church, within their ward, who see that as not okay, but 
among them and their younger friends, it's more okay. And so I think it also depends, right? Like, and I, this is going to come up multiple times as we discuss the, the bite model and the church is, you know, it depends on your ward. It depends on your family. It depends on the leader. It depends on this. It depends on your personal feelings toward, you know? Uh, and so obviously I think within the church, there is a wide spectrum of cultiness. There are obviously some wards who are way deep down the rabbit hole and are full on cult. And then there are definitely some where it's like, yeah, like bring, bring your, you know, significant other who is pansexual, non-binary, you know, however they identify. Yeah. Everybody's welcome. Right. And so I think it, it, it depends. And that's going to come up a lot. Uh, but there are definitely some situations where it is less of a choice that we make uh, and others where it is kind of seen more as a choice. Word. I think that's a really good point. I think that's fair. And the hijab example is totally as applicable as that because it depends on the, the family. Exactly. It, it depends mm-hmm. on your country because there are countries that <clears throat> yeah. don't let you. Yeah. And then another part of behavioral control, because um, I I presented on this, so I had some questions from the little people over my little audience um is it tells you what to eat what to drink like how to talk Hmm. um that's all part of behavioral control uh Mm -hmm. who and when to have sex with and i think a red flag for me in the mormon church that separates itself from other religions is that the behavioral control rules have changed and Hmm. that's also a red flag for cults so Mm -hmm. in combating cult mind control when it got to that part where Steve Hassan says um, constantly changing policies is a red flag for a cult. Mm-hmm. And if I, we look at something like the Jewish faith or Hinduism or some of the oldest religions on earth, they're thousands of years old. There are certain dietary rules that they've had the entire effing time. <laughs> like mm-hmm. pork was never a thing. Like it was never a part of it. And even with Islam, which is not as old, alcohol was never a thing. It was never cool beans. It was like instantly like we're not doing this. And pork was as well. And it hasn't changed from that. So even if you have Muslims who do occasionally drink or occasionally eat pork or occasionally do that, it's still just a hard line. It's a rule in the church. And that's relation. That's up to your relationship with God. If you do that or not, same with Jewish people, but with the Mormon church, the word of wisdom and those behavioral controls did change and do change and it's weird yeah oh yeah so i think for me that's the reflection of how it's culty is and part of why an abuser would do something like that like change it up on you is to keep you on your toes yeah so Mm -hmm. i don't know if the mormon church does that with that insidious idea or if it just happened that way but the fact that the mormon church's behavioral rules changed Cringy cringers. Definitely a red flag. And I think similar if you've got a if you've got a company or a boss who's like always changing the yardstick, that's like that's a method of controlling people. Like preach it. We've got certain performance indicators that we try to hit. Um, but those have been the same for years. And if we change the yardstick, it's not without like a, a management discussion on it. But I have heard of and seeing managers where it's like, are we going for how many errors, you know, or, or 
incorrectly shipped orders or whatever is is an acceptable what's our acceptable defect rate and nobody knows we just know that there's a logbook and kind of depending on the boss's mood we'll either get a strip torn off of us or he might be okay with it but nobody knows we're we're recording the data but we don't know if it's good or bad until the boss tells us it's good or bad hmm. and that's kind of right you don't know where you stand but if you say like my our, our acceptable defect rate is one percent right and then you go through the logbook and your defect rate is 0.9 percent well you know that you're within your acceptable rate and there's not really like you don't need to be worried about hellfire and brimstone but if it's like our defect rate was half a percent and we got a strip torn off us and then the next week it was two percent and we were getting high fives like what the fuck right yeah yeah the church is kind of like that with word of wisdom with law of chastity with a lot of its standards it's like when my parents were kids, they could do all this sorts of shit. And now I'm getting chewed out by the, the bishop for this stuff, you know, yeah. and definitely Word. helps herd the sheep. So with the, like these criteria, I think there's regulate individuals, physical reality. And sometimes I see, this is the first one on behavior control. This is one where I see like, well, I had to go to a church building and that, <laughs> right. And I had to go to a church building for seminary and activities so they regulated my physical reality. Like, I think that's a kind of a vague criteria. Uh, Heavenly Mother, do you have, like, what would be an example of regulating an individual's physical reality in terms of being like a cult? I, I think that's a great question. Um, one of the things that kind of is unsettling to me about the physical reality is y'all remember when they asked everybody to put up artwork in their homes of, like, jesus oh, or church okay. leaders or temples okay, okay. and like right. my family like literally was like no nah. right <laughs> like shifty eyes and they're like maybe not but we did we did end up getting a painting of the temple from the city that we live in um that was it we didn't have any jesus art up there we didn't have anything else and that is tr that is a physical reality change and every right. cult actually does that so mm -hmm. when steve hassan was in the moonies they had a, he had a picture up of the you know sun moon like they had that was normal was like in your reality in your home to be reminded of the his holiness the like eerie unsettling i mean i think i knew mormons who put up the proclamation to the family i knew mormons that had yeah. photographs of the quorum of the 12 at the time and so i think that's an example of augmenting a physical reality and then I think what is red zone, and this is pretty much like it's on the subreddit too, uh, is a mission experience mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. everything about your reality is not your choice. <laughs> like yeah. even your apartment, like even where you live, what you drive, um, you're mis you're displaced. And so mm -hmm. um, Steve Hassan actually mentions Mormon missions in his book specifically because yeah. he's like pretty soft and light about the regular church but when he mm -hmm. learned about what mormon missions are like he's like uh what <laughs> like yeah this is yeah. so that's I, that's I, my opinion about it you, no i agree if you'd be good if we if we do one discussion on, here on on like the regular church i think the missions are in its own bucket and i'd full-on <laughs> say that's a cult if we do a part two just talking about swapping mission experiences are you good with that yeah, and I'll I'll skip. I'll wait to save it because my story about thought control is from yeah. my mission. So I'll do that yeah. in the mm -hmm. next part. Okay. So yeah, because yeah, yeah. I've, 
I brainwashed myself on my mission for sure. Because <laughs> because the mission the mission is a full blown cult experience. Yeah, like a hundred percent in the red. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're you're moved around. You can only read from these four books. You know, you, you can only talk to people about these things. Yeah, you don't even it's use your real intense. name. You use yeah, your don't even name. use your real <laughs> name. <laughs> so for regulating regulating the physical reality, that's like like an example would be for the in the pews regular membership is like everybody having a miniature Christus and everybody having the family proclamation. And everybody having the first presidency pictures up in their house and the kinds of things that are like appropriate and not appropriate for you to have in your home. Yeah. Cause okay. that's, it's the same thing with the garment thing to me is mm -hmm. that it's so effing invasive. Like I have a dress code at work. My job doesn't care what I wear on the weekends or when I go right. home. But the fact yeah. that the church has this, like your house needs to look like this, your clothes need to look like this even when you're not at church you need to have right. clean language when you're not at church you need to be it's just it's too constant it's too hovering over for you so to mm -hmm. me it's not red because like um elder jackson was saying there are some people that are a little bit more open yeah uh but i don't think that it's green so those are my right choices. definitely like I, it's it's there i think with the regular membership there. I see these criteria, but then I see a lack of enforcement. And that's where I start saying, it, it, yeah, it's got like cult aspects, but none of them are enforced except by the minds of the members themselves. Like there's, you know, if, if the bishop went around and inspected homes and told people to take things down and put things up, I'd start saying like, oh, we're in the red zone. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. But, and I, that's where I start to feel like that's where I get a little bit more skeptical. I think as we go through more and more criteria, there's not a lot of enforcement on the criteria. There is, is I, I, I do think that, um, that, that they use simple things like surprisingly simple things like the sacrament as, mm -hmm. as a form of control of behavior yeah. control. Um, and I do think that, um, that the temple recommend interviews, that's a, a form of control. And mm -hmm. even if, even if you lie on those things, which you can, it still kind of like messes with your head, right? Like mm -hmm. you're like, oh no, yeah. does the bishop know that I lied to him? You know? Um, and so I do think I, I would put it in the orange, um, right. partly because it does cross the threshold of your home, right? Like, and, and I would argue that maybe pre Nelson, it mm -hmm. was in the yellow, but it's yeah. gotten more intense more now yeah. because yeah. they have said oh it's home centered church and they've kind of doubled mm -hmm. down on like your home is a temple and you need yeah. to do this and you know put up a picture of me in there you know there was something i saw on the xmo subreddit uh of what was it the church newspaper and it was you know the they have the church's symbol quote unquote the church's symbol at the top and it's just the christus and then on the next page, it's Russell Nelson with his arms out exactly the same way. And I was like, you guys have like yeah. taken it to the the next level, right? Like yeah. Jesus symmetry, Jesus symbolism is one thing, but like being like, I don't it just felt too, too iffy, you know, being like, no, no, we worship this person. No, no, I am this person. You worship me. Like, if Nelson mm -hmm. had gotten in there sooner, I think yeah. the 
<laughs> the mainstream church would have been way, way wackier. Yeah. I okay. So my my eyes are getting opened here, guys, because I, I <laughs> and, uh, okay dictate where, how, and with whom the member lives and associates or isolates. So I'll see this one come up frequently in the numerous bite model posts. It's like, well, they encourage you to just not hang out with non-members and I got to go to youth groups. So it's a cult. (laughs) And I'm well, like depends. Like I think in Utah, I think this is a bigger deal from what I've heard when people leave the church, their kids are automatically like social pariahs. Nobody wants to hang out with their kids. Um, Like where I grew up, let's say Mormon, where you and I grew up, elder, elder Jackson, Mormons were about 1% of the population in the city. So it was hard yeah. to only be friends with members of the church. Everybody had non-member friends. It was a lot more normal. I think where it's more Mormon dense, it actually does become. So maybe that's where I'm not so sympathetic sometimes when I see these posts is I don't understand what it's like to be in Utah. Well, and, and I I will say even even the difference between the stake you grew up in and the stake I grew up in. Your uh-huh. st- I mean, your stake, you know had all, all the money and always did the fancy things, but my stake That's had why it's really where the tight. Temple is. <laughs> my stake, it's true. My stake yeah. had tiny boundaries, like really, right. really small boundaries. Like I, I could easily comfortably bike around my stake boundaries. Mm. And we, um, we had two release time seminary programs in my stake growing up. I'm happy to say one of them has closed down and the other one is close to closing down. Um, but we had, we, we had this really tight knit group of Mormon kids. I remember only one time hanging out, uh, anytime after grade six, hanging out with a non-member kid. And I do think that also had a lot to do with my family because we were a big family. And so all of the things we did, the church just provided those activities and so we didn't do extracurriculars. We had church activity and we had family home evening and we had the fireside and we had, you know, seminary and all of these other things that we did. And so I do think, I mean, obviously they all depend on this, but for, for me personally, my like who you hang out with and who you spend time with, my experience was very much, it was just the church. Like the church controlled that totally for, for my about- life. How about you, mother in, in paradise? <laughs> my many titles, my many, many, many titles. Um, I I vibe with that with the because I was in you know grew up in California, which you know kind of similar to Canada, like the Utah. There's like that mm-hmm. belt. It's like Idaho, Utah, Arizona, Nevada. Y'all your own thing and parts of Montana. Um, but with the judging or controlling who you associate with, a really good example to me is the total discouragement of dating and marrying people who are not in the faith. And Mm. at BYU-Idaho especially, it was just, you were like beat down from like my religious professors would talk about it. They even said, I know a lot of women say that non-member men are nicer to them than member men, but you know, it won't be in the covenant that's behavioral control because mm-hmm. yeah. it is so it's the global majority for couples, whether they're gay, straight, non-binary people to be with someone who doesn't share their religion. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. normal. 
that is normal. I'm screaming inside. It's normal. Mm -hmm. It's not rare. It's normal. So for the church to have this tight control over who you're dating. And then I don't know if y'all had this, but as someone who basically had like no member friends or little to none, I had none like by the time I was in high school because my friends were less active. Um, there was always this underlying theme of like convert your friends, like bring them to church. Mm -hmm. And in singles ward too, like if there were women dating non-member men, there was always this underlying of like, well, when is he going to get baptized? And so I don't think that we truly are encouraged to affiliate with non-members because if you have the back, the thought in the back of your head or the front of your head or wherever, however deep you are in the paint to convert this person, that's not, that's not really even an authentic relationship. And so mm -hmm. for my family, who my mom was a member, my dad wasn't, she was cool with him not converting. And like, that's a big difference. Mm -hmm. When he decided to take the missionary discussions and decided to convert, she was surprised. He was loved bombed into it, but their vibe was different. Um, but weird because they certainly expected me and my siblings to be with members. Um, which I don't blame them because this was this is hard ingrained is is to convert your boyfriend, convert your girlfriend to so I, I think that it's uh, I, and, very culty in my and, opinion. No, I would agree. I would, and I never thought about that one before. When I read this, I, I'm always thinking about like the hard red zone where it's like you're on a compound and there's people <laughs> who will like beat you if you try to leave or talk to somebody from the outside. Like that's where where I think that that's what I'd say Jones to take town. the box. Yeah. <laughs> But no, you're right, because I can think of, like, yes, I did have a lot of friends who are not members of the church. Um, so when I read this one, I'm like, the church didn't control anything about who I hung out with. Like, I had tons of non-member friends. But then, as you say, always in the back of my mind, I was thinking about converting them. And I was always mm -hmm. dragging them to church activities. So I will I will concede that point. That sounds like an orange zone to me. Yeah. Uh, like, I the red zone would be you're on a compound and you get beatings if you communicate with the outside world <laughs> and this is about as close as you can get without, you know, um, being on a getting, compound and getting beating. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, okay. When, how, and with whom the member has sex. So this is another one where I think about, I'm like, well, I, I always think about the most severe example of like, uh, like basically Joseph Smith and po polygamy and polyandry. And you see that in a lot of other cults that get Netflix documentaries. It's like, no, I must carry the sex is a filthy, evil thing, and I must carry the burden of it. So now I have to sleep with all your wives and daughters. Sorry, guys. Um, but I, I will just say I remember when we were first married, um, the the question of the appropriateness of oral sex came up, and it I had like a crisis of conscience over the whole thing, and that's where I actually found the first presidency memo. That was where, you know, in like the 80s, the bishops had to ask in interviews if um, if couples were having oral sex. Um, because it was such a, it was just like a, a crisis for me. If, if, the, um, if the church didn't tell me what was appropriate, it was hard for me to think about what would be appropriate. And the other part of that was because... Um, like, of course, me and my, my wife and my wife more so than I, um, and I think it's common for women in the church to carry a lot of sexual shame and stuff like that. I thought, no, I'm all right. 
I didn't, don't really carry any sexual shame, but the way that men get the messaging, or at least the way that I got it was that if you look at pornography, then you will become some kind of monster. Mm -hmm. And if you, it will completely corrupt your, your perspective of sex. And if you try to get your partner to do anything that you've seen in a porn video, then you're, you're a filthy perverted monster who's using your spouse as a sex toy essentially. And that was like a big, um, big thing that hung over my head. And it was, it, it's been hard for me to communicate intimacy needs because I'm absolutely paranoid that I will be a pervert no matter mm. how vanilla the thing is that I'm interested in. It's like, if I say I want to try anything, I'm a pervert. Hmm. That almost makes me emotional because the sex shame in the church for men and for women is, uh, God, we're going to have to get funny later. Cause this is heavy and this <laughs> is sad. Yeah, and yeah. this is, but it's so effing real. Mm-hmm. And the way that the church treats young men and the way that the church treats pornography creates its own problem. Mm-hmm. It creates the thing that it says that it, you know what, what, Ooh, oh, <laughs> get, get, up fired, up. get fired up. <laughs> the, the throwdown is at the church, not at Bishop Jensen. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> the title <laughs> in a- ACT therapy, which I went to a training on, we learned that hyper fixating on a habit or an addiction actually makes it worse. So when the church tells these young boys, little boys, 11, 12, 10 years old, that what masturbating is a sin, you disgusting animal, and porn is the epitome of evil, it makes them think about it more. Mm -hmm. Therefore, there are young men who think that they have a porn addiction, who think that they have a masturbation compulsion when they don't. I know what the criteria of a compulsion is, and I know what the criteria of an addiction is, and they don't have it. Mm-hmm. So then they go to their bishops and they confess and they're full of shame because it's an embarrassing and humiliating thing to confess to a bishop. I would know. Mm-hmm. So then it fuels the desire to do it more when mm-hmm. in the normal world, in normal life, uh, pornography exists. It has no morality. It can obviously like snuff films and whatever extreme, but the fact that these young men, I mean, they cite Ted Bundy and his little using pornography as an excuse. Pornography does not make you a murderer. Mm-hmm. In fact, according to Stanford, they interviewed 2,000 men who have committed rape. And even watching rape porn doesn't make you a rapist. Surprise! <laughs> Surprise! It doesn't! But they push that narrative so hard. Mm-hmm. And I have my own feelings about pornography, mostly from the church. Um, but I had to come to, even after I was married, this whole like therapeutic realization that um, porn is not this epitome of evil <laughs> yeah. in any way. And like, I actually think women that do OnlyFans, like get your own money, girl, or men that do it, like <laughs> I, I support them, Do get it. Sex workers need to be treated yeah. with respect. And I've had this total like, turnaround um also i don't know if this happened to you but it happened to me once i actually had sexual experiences available to me at any time that i would like my obsession with sex 
went down. Like, I think I was the most crazy about it, right? When mm-hmm. I was hard in the paint Mormon and I couldn't even, oh God, I couldn't even think about lust. So sinful. It That's when I was the most like clearly sexually frustrated, but it was on your mind. So the church, we could, literally we could do a whole episode about this. The church creates the problems that it then tells you it will fix. Mm-hmm. It literally does. And sex is a really effective way to control people mm-hmm. and to yeah. mess with people. And um, it was just like really, really wild to me. And before I got married and before I left the church, I started experimenting more. I didn't like go all the way or anything, but definitely having to quiet those voices about like, this is sinful, you dirty animal. <laughs> just mm-hmm. getting, rid of that, getting rid of that stuff because it's so ingrained in you and you think it's not and then a whole other topic that we can get to for like uh thought control or emotional control is like the whole demons will get you thing because i Mm -hmm. i believe that too (laughs) when i thought i was free so yeah i try to make it funny at the end because that is we literally have there's 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 ones (laughs) i'll start making fun of the ex-mormon subreddit as we get on to the other ones but i just think that's like a whole um, the the door you opened is such a disturbing door of the church. And it, I think it's re, yeah, and it, and the other thing, like I don't want to turn it into another confessional, but um, <laughs> just like for the purpose of being vulnerable about myself, I get like if you are thinking about your religion when you are trying to be intimate with your partner, that's that's a cult te- uh, yep. indicator, right? That and yep, yep, yep. And so I think for me because. I didn't have a lot of, um, I guess, inhibitions and I didn't feel a lot of shame. Like I did feel after I got married, it was like a switch went off and it was like, everything's okay. It's between me and my partner now, but there definitely were some things, I guess, a hesitancy to discuss these things, a hesitancy to discuss needs for fear of being a pervert or seen as a pervert is something that that's how it impacted me. I think it impacts mm-hmm. women in a, in a different way um, because they're all, they're taught that they need to control men, you know, but anyway, if you're, you if, yeah, if you're thinking about, if you're thinking about your religious teachings while you're trying to be intimate, you're probably in a cult. Okay. Control types of clothing and hairstyles. <laughs> this is one. Okay, wait, wait, like, wait, wait, before, before we go on from this one, are we giving yeah. it an orange score? This is like, uh, this is, yes. this is, this is a, uh, I'd call this uh this is a, this is a, I, what do you call it? Garnet? Like what's, what's between orange and red? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pumpkin, not, what is it? Burnt orange. Burnt, burnt orange. orange. Burnt is- orange. What I'm, what I'm realizing with, with these is most of them would be red if there was some sort of physical enforcement. Enforcement. Yeah. Yes. But, but there's, but there still is enforcement, right? Like they get in your head about all of, mm. all of these things. And, and so part of me is almost like, well, there's not a physical enforcement, but the way it's in your head and the way it messes you up for, for years, people can leave the church and still have these things in the back of their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really does. It, it's orange bordering on bordering on red for sure. Yeah. And that the consequences are very real for sure. Cause there's yeah, yeah. a lot of Mormon youth who do self harm because mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. freaking masturbate, which is actually healthy as a therapist, mm-hmm. it's healthy to be intimate with yourself. Just saying, we can go to the next one if you're ready or stay with this. Yeah. So I don't know what you... I, yeah. I think we can Control types one. of clothing and hairstyles. There's a strength of youth pamphlet with a dress code and modesty rules. Therefore, this is a cult. 
is I, usually what I, I hear. And, no, no, no. I will. <laughs> and, and that's that's the way I hear. It. And I'm like, okay. I'm thinking of, of course, I'm thinking of like everybody's wearing a white suit in this compound while they farm or whatever, right? <laughs> and has the same side. Like I'm starting to describe a mission now. But yeah. for the regular members of the church, like I had long hair in high school and the old ladies at church gave me shit about it, but they still let me pass the sacrament. And like I wore baggy pants and band t-shirts and like I, there, I had friends at church who painted their fingernails like boys, you know, who are into the, the 19, early 2000s emo punk scene. Um, you know, so it's not like... I wasn't wearing a uniform, but it was definitely like a lesson in Sunday school. So some people use this one as like a slam dunk because of the strength of youth pamphlet. Mm -hmm. I'd say it's not really other than like old ladies being bitchy, but old ladies are bitchy about a lot of things. So word. What's your, what's your take? Cause I think women get it worse. So mother in heaven, why don't you tell us how culty it is for a woman in the church when it comes to dress and grooming? I would love to. I actually, I didn't get to tell Elder Jackson before we recorded, but I'm like interested in doing a whole episode on the first strength of youth pamphlet and how it is racist, <laughs> sexist, and needs to burn in hell. So I we will say that. Yeah. <laughs> so if I talk about it now, it'll be way too long. Cause I literally, I have like a PowerPoint. I don't, but I mentally, I have like mm-hmm. a PowerPoint presentation with a dance sequence about how the first strength of youth pamphlet is evil, especially to women, and it is racist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Surprise! I mean, no one's surprised by that because the whole church is. But no, they've got um, a black guy in the dressing crew. <laughs> At least when I was a kid, there's a black guy. <laughs> they had one so, black guy. Um, <laughs> he's wearing khaki pants and a button-up shirt. Like, so he wasn't dressed to his cultural. Yeah, word, word, word. Oh, I mean, that could be your culture, but good, and he was black, so. Word, yeah. So he's dressed like a Mormon and black. So I think that the obviously first the of, church is progressive. Is not, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not racist. They had a girl so with brown th- hair in there too. <laughs> she she could have been she could have been mixed. We don't know. She yeah. doesn't identify that way. So God, um, but I think that the first strength of youth pamphlet is toxic. But I don't think it is the best. Um, piece of evidence to suggest of behavioral control. I think the other things that we talked about are difficult for ex-Mormons to discuss. Like, no one wants to discuss, like, I feel shame when I masturbate. No one wants to say that. So instead, they're like, but look at this. It's not a red herring. I don't think that it's that. I think it's almost like a straw man, like, look at this. I will say... I think it's valid, but it it doesn't... The other things that we mentioned are, like, orange... (laughs) The first strength of youth pamphlet is like, let's all roll our eyes together. And I will talk about how toxic it is later. But it's not it's not culty because of the the reinforcements aren't there like they are for I mean I guess they could be. God, I don't want to talk we, I'm gonna so <laughs> gonna throw something at you. This is actually interesting because you're saying this one's like a yellow. I'm gonna say this one's a red. The reason why this <gasps> one is red, two earrings. Mm. Oh my God! You're right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at you changing true. my and, mind. And and Bednar's talk about two earrings made it like a, a deep blood red or a maroon. She just, like we're almost getting purple. It's so red. And and um, I will say we've we've talked about missions as being like the epitome of cultiness in the church, like all red all the way down. But yeah. we haven't mentioned 
BYU Idaho. <gasps> so that okay, the that one's gonna of get its problems. own. <laughs> that one's gonna get that one's gonna get its own episode too. I feel like bite model the on yeah, so of... this is bite model on regular Mormons. We'll do a bite model on missions. Bite model on BYU Idaho, and then uh, and then and I, one on BYU and one on Hawaii. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. And the, we got but the bite model isn't applicable to the pamphlet. That's my own little issue that I will present on later. I um, can't wait. I'm excited. I, it's already um, in there. <laughs> so, because okay, here here's the thing with BYU Idaho, like they will not let you write your exam. They will withhold your higher level education if you do not meet these very very specific standards, mm-hmm. and. I had I had one friend. She's f- from Africa, and she shaved her head. She she had a shaved head because that was like normal culturally, and she was refused a job. And it wasn't like it wasn't like a well, you know, like you're not really the look we're going for it, to face the customers. It was literally just like no, we're racist because it was a job answering phones. The people that work there didn't want to look at a woman with a shaved head. That's what that's about. That's, that's what that so, was. Also, yeah. also, they had concerns about her accent, but English is her first language, and she speaks just fine. According to you, not the Lord's representative. <laughs> yeah, she might. She might sound black, and they you just don't. Oh, want, they right. just don't I'm want a, a black woman's voice. <laughs> I, <ooh. laughs> I forgot that was a problem in the church. You know what? This perfect connection, perfect dots adding up here, Elder Jackson, isn't the First Strength of Youth pamphlet personified and blown up into a literal place, BYU-Idaho? Yeah. Like, isn't it just, like, extended? Oh, Like, it's the blueprint. It's the blueprint (laughs) plan. (laughs) And mustaches are okay. Like, they have arbitrary things. Like, mustaches (laughs) are okay. Beards are not. Uh, sideburns can not go further down than the ears. Um, well, no yeah, shorts allowed, but girls are allowed to wear skirts. That's the one that always got me was in the summer. It's so <laughs> hot in Rexburg and I wasn't allowed to wear shorts. So I would literally, I'd walk to class in shorts, change in the bathroom and then go sit in the classroom in pants because it was that, so hot. So your beard is because you're a filthy communist and you can have a mustache because that means you're a cop. Yes, hey, you exactly. Nick, you freaking commie. <laughs> okay. That's literally All the right. vibe. Okay, I, like I think we've gotten through five of twenty-five points on behavior. We don't have um, to all of them. I don't know if we, but I think what we're see- the pattern we're seeing is is that there's a lot of orange here, and basically mm-hmm. anytime the church gets the opportunity to be as churchy as it wants, i.e., the mission or BYU Idaho, it it goes <laughs> right to red. Like instantly, except for yeah, dress code. I'd say that one is just a red with uh with the earrings. Any other? Do you have any favorite points in here, uh, Mother in Heaven? Before we move on to, I just don't know if we've got time for all twenty five. You know what? Uh, I oh, almost I suggest that we do one episode per letter because we're really... <laughs> <laughs> we had to do this would happen. We have. A I feel problem. like <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now I feel now I feel like we're the cult leaders. And we're changing the measuring stick. We always do this. We're like, today we're going to do an episode on this. And then we're like, uh, it's going to be like a, a three-parter. No, it's only a call if I, to ask, do this. I ask people to send me money after I change the yardstick. So please, 
uh, feel free to e-transfer me uh, money to unmortgage. <laughs> my gmail. pen pal is my PayPal yeah. pen pal. PayPal. My PayPal is no joke, <laughs> but it's not a culty because we agree to this. But yeah, for all the points, we do not have to go off. You went off more of them than I thought we were because I was like, argument done. Like it's bad, but I like that you bring it up. I like that we discuss this. So I'm not. Well, that's I'm what I said. I'm on, I'm on a journey here to re- reduce my <laughs> ignorance and, and increase my knowledge, right? So it's like, yeah, let's go through these points. Let's let's hash it out. Um, here's one I think. Okay, just scrolling through. Permission required for major decisions. This one is funny because it's like, I'd say this one's actually green for the church. Is that like bishops are told not to give advice on major decisions. They hmm. don't want to make decisions, but they create this this framework in this religion that infantilizes you and basically trains you to seek God's word through his authorized servants for all decisions. But then when it is major decisions are like, I don't want to have a part of this. Mm-hmm. Marry whoever you want. I don't want to get sued. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. So that's one where I give the church a green is actually, they don't want to make major life decisions. That's probably coming from legal saying like, Hey, if you guys start advising people on who they marry and they get divorced, they might try and sue you. This is, uh, but they you know, do, this, that's, I mean, they don't get specific. They don't get I was about spe- to say I have a counter argument. Okay, please go. You go, you go. I don't want to interrupt you. No, no. I, well, I was just saying that they don't get specific, yeah, but they do like, Mr. they do have all these moderate? other things. I know <laughs> oh I'm supposed God. to be moderating, but I just like a good fight. I know. I got riled up about you happened to your friend. I literally almost fell on my chair. Um, so the counter argument that I have to that, why I don't think that it's green, why in fact I think it's yellow, mm-hmm. is two words. Patriarchal blessing. Yeah, and that was in my mind who, as I said There green. are people who mold their yeah. life. I didn't leave the church sooner because I was afraid that I would not find a spouse. Mm-hmm. Because my patriarchal mm-hmm. blessing said that I found a member. And I wasn't interested in member men, like I said in the previous one, before I got my blessing. So I was like, members suck. I want a non-member man like my dad. Uh, surprise. And I'm happy with who I found. I'm very much in love with him. So I'm like obsessed, but not in like a church culture. We're obsessed with him too. He's celebrity. great. I mean, he's, he, everyone, it's like a get blessing and a curse. Because some people <laughs> that are super creeps at work are like, we should hang out. And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but then like, he gets like... When the city we live in on the north side of the city, people are so nice to him. Like they call him like older women will be like, here you go, hon. And like give him something free for no reason. Like he, it's just, it's a gift he has. But like I said, also a curse because some real creepos who are like, we should be friends. And he's like, you're, you scare me. And I never want you to meet my family. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, for real. Like he literally had a coworker that did like 15 years for rape. And then when my husband left that job, that bro was like, Hey, like you should add me on snap. And he's like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> like we are not friends. So um, anyways, but the point is, I think that it's yellow because patriarchal blessings. Yeah. I mean, it'll say yeah. in there that you go on a mission and people will be unsure, but it says it in there. And then they're like, I guess I'll go when I'm old. No, or, my wife, my wife's uh, patriarchal blessing meant, Blessing mentioned a mission and uh, she didn't care to go on one and she never went on one. But I remember when we were getting engaged, it was kind of like an issue. Yeah. yeah word. I, I had a roommate like that too, but she's going to go when she's older. That's what she said. Yeah. Yeah. Once well, some, cause some parents who are present when the blessing is given will kind of do the, 
but your patriarchal blessing says da 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 you know yeah yeah okay how about this one kidnapping i'm gonna give the church a green on kidnapping except for they kidnap my kids spiritually yeah exactly (laughs) so like i don't know i mean obviously i didn't mean to cut you off um but the obviously the early days of the church are all the criteria and they're all yes because joseph smith literally did kidnap people clear in the red like murders so red it's almost blood atonement like it's the color of wine (laughs) that's like but that's like every religion right they all start out as cults and then the dear leader dies (laughs) that's what my sister says waters down my sister's like a religion a cult plus time equals religion i was like yeah yeah Yeah. see part of me feels like like depending on on the prophet depending on the president of the church it kind of fluctuates right like it was because like joseph smith brigham young like some things got worse with Brigham Young, I think. Like mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like, I don't know. Sometimes Joseph Smith strikes me as he's he's kind of an idiot who just doesn't want to work, and he started this thing, and now he's trying to just have fun with it. And then Brigham Young gets in charge, and he's like the cult leader, right? And some people still like see him as like the cult leader, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. So I think it depends on. Uh, on the profit some things will fluctuate because i mean look at it okay russell nelson a few years ago gets up and he's like mormon is a slur we hate that (laughs) word and then suddenly everybody in the church is like yeah oh wow it's a slur i can't believe somebody would say that to me it's like it's been like over a hundred years of using this word this way and now you're flip it on its side you know and and like all of a sudden and I said the word Mormon to one of my friends in a conversation about the church. And they said, you know, Alex, or, you know, Elder Jackson, maybe you'd have, (laughs) maybe you'd have more success talking to people about the church if you didn't call them Mormons. And I'm like, oh, brother, like they were so. And that, okay. So yeah, I'll give you that. Cause that made me run out the door. That was like the last, that was where I was like, I'm in North Korea was basically every time. Every time Nelson did something and everybody was like eating it up, I was like, okay, I'm in a cult. But then it's like when someone, it's like I can say it to myself, but then when someone else says it, I'm like, hold your horses here. Big (laughs) word to start throwing down. I literally, like the exact topic that you brought up, Elder Jackson, about, we could literally do another episode on this too, because I'm full of ideas. But I I don't think it needs an episode, actually. The Mormon church, especially right now in the past decade, is obsessed with being this persecuted minority like mm-hmm. the past 10 years it's a slur like excuse you <laughs> like, oh, do you know what yeah. a slur means yeah. and then um the people who can say certain terms are slurred are oppressed people who are called slurs like that's who can say that not this religion i took a race and ethnicity class at BYU idaho my professor was lit she was awesome one of the very few times that a female professor and she was going over like um how different ethnic groups were persecuted and forced out of their homes and it was race Mm -hmm. and ethnicity in the united states predominantly and so she's going over like the indian removal act because like Mm -hmm. word that and i'm sitting there like oh it's my family history i didn't say that though because it wasn't a safe space yet Uh, i just pretended to be white i guess it was was an online class one could see me Mm -hmm. um and this young man in the class was like, well, would Mormons count as an ethnicity? 
because we had to get moved and she was like uh absolutely not <laughs> yeah she was because being mormon yeah. was a choice no one chooses to be you know like all the natives mm -hmm. that got moved during the indian removal act like they didn't convert to being native like, yeah right <laughs> that and didn't they, happen they like that they they couldn't say oh well actually i just kidding just kidding i'm white <laughs> now and then the white people are like okay you can stay then here's your homestead like yeah. even enjoy. the white passing natives their asses were on the trail dying yeah. it was horrible and it, even the white people who married into native families are like get out there you're trash like there was no there was no saving you there's no saving you yeah and then i heard another guy on campus who was complaining about minorities complaining weird how that works um because his family is of irish descent and the irish had it really bad and you don't hear mm -hmm. them complaining and i'm like y'all are so obsessed with becoming yeah. this persecuted group of people and take no accountability in the persecution that you commit but that's side rant do we need to time Oh, I'm okay to keep going. going John Delin style on this. I'm having fun. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. our audience is having fun. I just wanted to make fun. sure. Wanted to make I, sure. I had a Reddit interaction with John Delin. If anybody wants to hear about this, wow, you're like you're like famous. No, oh I'll save God. it for another time. Save it for another time. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, cliffhanger, I feel like this everyone. is like yeah. an emotion control tactic. You're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and, no, and I, like I don't said, worry about it. Just because, just because people hit like one or two of the checkboxes doesn't make them culty. It's like you're well, obviously a narcissist, Bishop Jensen. <laughs> yeah, go right, go right about me on Reddit. Oh my god! But, my podcast um, co-host is a narcissist, and I can't stand him. You're so good at voices, by the way. I've Thank heard you. other episodes where you did do other voices, and they literally make me cry laughing. I, like I appreciate it. If if anybody wants to hire me as a voice actor, I am currently looking for a okay, job. Guys, I'll take I'm going anything. Full red, red like behavior I, control okay, on wait, this wait, discussion. Wait, wait. We are getting <laughs> wait, back right on before you move on. Yeah. Right before you move on, we <laughs> yeah. want feedback emailed to unmormon at gmail.com. We want feedback. Should Elder Jackson start an OnlyFans? Uh, Does let Elder me know. Jackson have a face for radio? Ooh, yeah, let Ooh. me know. Um, I, I will I will say that if I start an OnlyFans, it will be mostly pictures of my thumbs because that's my favorite part of my body. I think I have really nice thumbs. Just look at that. This sounds like a sexual thing that you're. Involved. It's not. A, it's not. A, I mean, if I, if I had no, only it, fans, it would be a sexual. He's talking thing. about. But he's talking about I, his you know, for sure. I like. My he's got thumbs. two of them, and they're the size <laughs> of a thumb. No, <laughs> no, I was talking about that thing that people do where they surprise their partner with a thumb and. Do people do know that? about that? Yeah. Um, Look, we are like 15 minutes away from me almost crying about my sexual repression. Oh my god. We, we can shift gears. Okay, let's go to information control. Deception. Okay. <laughs> Deliberately uh, withhold information, distort information to make it more acceptable, and systematically lie to the cult member. And of course, everybody's like, oh my god, the church lied to me. My pushback to make this yellow instead of red is that there is nobody in the Quorum of the Twelve who is smart enough to know enough to <laughs> deliberately lie to anybody. Um, I disagree. They yes, don't. And I, John and Delin, I agree like, with him. talks about this all. He's like, every time I've interacted with a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, 
they don't know about the historical issues with the church. They're <laughs> like, lying. They don't, I don't think, I think they are all as dumb as my grandpa. Cause every time I listen to them talk, it sounds like my, my dead grandpa peace be upon him, who is a <laughs> patriarch and member of a state presidency. And it's like, this guy doesn't read the book. He's too busy telling everybody how much he knows about the book. <laughs> All right, so Elder Jack, can you say your piece? Because I was prepped and ready for this argument. I've been marinating on it. So okay. you go. Uh, no, I just I I disagree. I I think they they absolutely do lie, and I would like to give the time over to our wonderful heavenly mother. <laughs> oh my god, um, I love that you brought this up because I think that it is something that. Ooh, this is like kind of spooky and this is also speculation so i could be dead wrong i believe that the whole ignorant dumb nice mormon thing that the leaders do is a fucking tactic because mm-hmm. the greatest advantage you could ever give your enemy is to underestimate them that's the biggest you could just hand the battle over i think that i used to be questioning because i was like you know what they do seem pretty incompetent the mormon church has so much money and it continues to rank in money in money and when it wants to move on a political issue it makes money move Mm -hmm. i don't think that if it was totally made up of the dum-dums it would be able to do that but i think that the persona and the perception of naivety of Mm -hmm. lack of intelligence is like a super huge tool because everyone wants to believe that Mormons are harmless and Mm -hmm. they push that narrative super hard. I was living in California. I was an adolescent at the time that proposition eight happened and the Mormon church. So marriage equality passed in California and the Mormon church moved mountains financially told all of the Mormons in California how to vote. If you didn't feel comfortable being against marriage equality uh, you were lit- my parents were literally bullied, coerced, and strong-armed into complying. I don't know how they voted, but they were strong-armed into being quiet about it. Hmm. I remember having leaders and young women's in Sunday school, all I wasn't in seminary yet, all talk to us about how we needed to be cool with the church's handling of it. So my reason that I don't think that they're as dumb as they present, because I do completely agree with you, Bishop, that they do present as bumpkins. Uh, I think it's a, I think it's an insidious lie. But also, that's my own personal bias because I hate the church, so I could be wrong. <laughs> no, let me. Okay, okay, give me a second to restate here because that's really that's interesting. Is that Sit I think? On that. Okay, so when I when I see this come up on Reddit, usually people dogpile on historical issues, right? So when I say they're dumb, they are dumb about church history issues. None of them know enough about church history to lie about church history. They've been reading correlated material their whole life. They're regurgitating correlated material. They don't go into the vaults. They have no interest in history. I agree with you. They are ruthless business people, right? Like, like I think half the quorum of the 12 staff by lawyers, um, Quentin Cook raided a hospital, like, Yeah, there's a story about it. It's in a newspaper. Everybody buzzes about it on. I, Sorry, dear listener. Heavenly Mother's got like a look of shock here. As I tell her, Quentin Cook was That's like okay. a That's okay. I can look it up later. You can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I guess what what the average ex-Mormon typically dogpiles on is that, yes, there is like 
highly correlated material and information about church history. And that's what they jump on. I would say that leaders of the church are so ignorant about church history because it's not important to them that they don't know enough to lie about it. But like you brought up, they are intentionally deceptive about current church issues. Word. And that's maybe what gets overlooked when people are going through the bite model is they jump on the thing that gives an emotional gut punch and it might not actually be the best example when there's better examples out there. They're, they're just not looking for them because they're so, you know, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail kind of analogy. Like this is the mm-hmm. thing that hurt me. So I'm going to go after it, but really it's not a good example. Like the pamphlet where mm-hmm. the, you know, for the behavioral control, it's like, mm-hmm. you don't really want to talk about the painful stuff. So yeah. you're going to go with, um, I think that some of them, I think that's a good, that's a good statement and it's a good theory as well. And I don't know how we could test it or how we could prove it because none of them are theologians. None of them. None of them mm-hmm. are scriptorians. None of them are scholars. I've met David A. Bednar or David Bednar. I've been around him before. Mm-hmm. Um, I never was a fan of him. And then I certainly wasn't after engaging with people that have met him multiple times. Mm-hmm. He has a psychology background. And so I think if anybody's aware of what's going on psychologically mm-hmm. and the it's him. Yeah. I also think that the not knowing about church history is a choice and it's willful ignorance. And mm. I see the same tactics with people who are complicit in racism and who are complicit in misogyny. They mm-hmm. want to stay ignorant because that eliminates some accountability for current issues. So mm-hmm. I think you're right. Uh, but I do still, I'm going to kind of die on that hill that I think that that's intentional. Um, but also, I mean, do you think that they even care that Joseph Smith was a rapist? Do you think that even their moral compass is so out of whack that they're like, it's women are trash? <laughs> like, I don't know. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good point is even if even if they did know, you know, if if they're already so bought into it. Right. Like before before I left, when I went through the temple, I had already said, well, whether or not it's true, it's good, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they could have brought out a goat and slaughtered it on the altar in front of me my first time through the temple. And I would have been like, yeah, that's just what we do. Like, that's the that's the headspace I was in. And so for these people who that's their whole life, that's their career, that's their reputation. They get this cult like personality. People love and adore them. You know, people wait with bated breath. I wonder I wonder what Jeffrey R. Holland is going to say this next conference It's going to be so inspiring. I think that, you know even if they did know like they they wouldn't care like it wouldn't make a difference i think damn this is based on i'm gonna get confessional here but i think that every mormon who is a believer like a true believer not the guys who show up every sunday because their wife makes them but Mm -hmm. every man who is a believer in the church has two sets of morality in his brain and one set is what I'm doing in this life. And the other is the true morality that will come when Christ comes again. Yeah. And so That's these things scary. are acceptable when Christ comes again. Polygamy is okay in the world to come. But I have to behave in a certain way so that I don't go to jail. Well, and they also, and I, would, I mean... 
if they, they have their behave- second anointing. Yeah, especially, I would say one thing, I was listening to a podcast, um, or maybe I saw a Reddit thread, in, and it was talking about how missionaries, um, it, it was wife points when you're a missionary. Like you drop your scriptures, yep. you lose wife points. Yeah. You go tracting in the rain, you gain wife points. Um, the language that I had in my per- patriarchal blessing about my future wife was that she would be a special help me to me. I think I believed sincerely that um, by being a righteous priesthood holder, I would have this, uh, have a woman in my life whose focus was to serve me, make me happy. I can't say that was like at the forefront of my brain, but I can say that was in the back of my head somewhere. And, and there's this part, maybe it's a social conscience or whatever you call it, but it says you can think that, but you can never act that way. Hmm. Um, and so would you like, do, do the apostles even care if Joseph Smith married teenagers? I think that they would say that they would renounce it or deny it in whatever way they could, but deep down they think it's okay. And it's just not okay for this world. It's a, a pearls before swine kind of thing is how they rationalize it. You saying this, we have to get funny again. Um, Cause that <laughs> makes me emotional. You saying this and you explaining this, if we were in therapy, so we would call breakthrough <laughs> okay. connected so many dots for me that I have, I could have stories for days about, questions that you just answered by saying that because so many instances men in the church made me feel unsafe and now I understand why hmm. and specifically yet again I'm going to be should say that story if we do that episode um my professor we took a social problems class and we went over rape because it's a societal pro- it's a global societal problem um and my professor asked the class was a large lecturer young men because we read a study that was done in 91 that the conclusion of the study was like we can't really ask why men do this because there isn't a profile for a rapist they could literally anybody mm-hmm. um why men don't like we need to look into that and so my professor asks the class, right? Young men, why don't you do this? <laughs> and I'm like, God, why do we even having this so uncomfortable already? And none of these men had a good answer. Not a single one. One man said, because it's illegal. Another oh. man said, because it's against the law of chastity. So I was like, ooh, so you're going to do it to your wife? And then another man said, kind of regurgitated the same things. It goes against church teachings, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Not a single man said, because I don't like to hurt women. Not a single man said, you know, it's hard for me to stay hard if a woman's crying <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or pushing yeah. me off or clawing at my face or if she's right. unconscious or if she's a child. None of them said that. They all came out with what you're saying. And I've thought about that so many times. And I literally like had that conversation with my husband. I was like, like, why don't you do stuff like that? He's like, cause it, it's not a, what? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, obviously I had a good answer, but that's like our personal conversations. But um, their answers were wrong. Their answers were scary to me. Yeah, and now yeah. that makes sense. I would say, like, I like my reason that when you asked that question or through that example, like my first reaction was, 
I don't like to hurt people. And it's a lot more fun with someone who wants to have fun with you. Right? <laughs> that's, like, yeah, that's basically yeah. what my husband said. He's like, I like it if you like it. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can do, we can do whack. And um, there's also like, it's super shamed, but I'm, I do not kink shame many things. Um, there, if there are men who like that experience, there are literally women who are into it too. And you can find them on chat rooms, you can find them on websites, and they play up scenarios like verbatim how it's going to happen. You're not a rapist if you do that. Like, that's just your own kink right. thing if you're like, I'm going to surprise yeah. you. With. And it's all detailed. It's like a little story. Um, mm. That's completely different than getting somebody who doesn't want it, you know? So, yeah, right. Anyways, yeah. Those are my two cents. Got deep and dark and heavy. Well, I like, I, like a velvet one other thing that I can think about is that when I was a kid there were girls in the ward who were mean to me and then it was just well <laughs> so this is this would kind of take place probably from when i was about six till i was about 10 oh but i remember kind of getting into being you know 11 12 learning about priesthood and just thinking they might be bitches now but i will rule over them in heaven like the messaging's wow. there right yeah it's in the back right. of my head but that was how i just kind of right. came to peace with it and and God. I can't be the only man in the church who who ever had that kind of mindset. I think there are yeah. men that thought that about me specifically. Right? I think there are men that yeah. thought that about me specifically. And the only reason Oof. why I'm not running out of town is because the law made us be not weird. Some deep shit. Right? Yeah. And, and I think there's a lot of Mormon. That's what, that's, yeah. Anyways, on to happier things here. Um, <laughs> information, control. information control. Information uh, control. Minimize or discourage <laughs> access to non-cult sources of information. This is, yes. well, they never let me watch R-rated movies. And it's like, okay, buddy, that's like, that's in the green. <laughs> We're still in the green. Like, yeah. And and really, the the things your parents, you know, they want to monitor what you're on on the internet and etc. Like, yeah, they're doing that through the filter of the church. But a, a good and involved parent is going to want to know what their kids are getting up to online because they could get into some dangerous shit. Yeah, right? word. They, can, they can get it. So those are the examples I usually see come up. Is like no R-rated movies. My parents wanted to know who I was texting. Uh, you know that kind of stuff, and it's like. But as soon as you grow up, like the church isn't monitoring what websites I go to. Like, yeah, the church isn't monitoring what I watch on TV, and and that R-rated movies. Like nobody actually goes into the actual quote. It's just become like this meme quoted, you know, in elders' quorum. You know, so Mormons can find another reason to look down on each other. So. This minimize or discourage access to non-cult sources of information. I don't know. What do you guys uh, think? Discourage, discourage is in the red, like a hundred and like yeah, yeah. Um, minimize access, like removing the access. Not they, really. They they're can't. you know they that's the they, war. They that's the war they're fighting right now is the fact exactly. that they can't. Yeah, yeah. They can't. They can't control the internet, but they they do try. Right. Like they, they try to discourage that. And, you know, um, I had, Oh, what was it? I had a friend in the not going to lie thing. I'm going to, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to find what, what she said. Um, you guys talk 
for okay. a second. Uh, like I had an interaction <laughs> with missionaries where I was asking about the lockdown software on their, their cell phones. And I was like, that's kind of controlling. Hey. And they're like, they said, it helps us build righteous technology habits. And I guess I'd better wait from the church long enough where I was like, that sounds messed up. Mm-hmm. Like just yeah. the way that's phrased is messed up. I know we're not going to talk about missions in this episode, but it was like a, an aha moment for me where I was like, oh, like I don't look at these things through the lens of the church anymore. These things sound weird and creepy to me. This is Word. what it sounds like to people outside of the church. And it always has. And all our yeah. sweet little friends and family outside the church were just like patiently waiting for us to wake up. I had, right. um, while well, Elder Jackson's finding that, I had a friend, two different friends in my life after I've been kind of investigating leaving or left who have come out about their own creepy church experience in another church that was mm-hmm. culty. So I had a friend who was from Florida and she moved to California. We were like gym buddies. We'd go to the gym at night after work together. And I was telling her about like my faith crisis basically, because she had a similar experience in this like small church in Florida. And when I told her that you don't question the prophet, she instantly was like, that's a cult. <laughs> and I was like, what? No, she not like trying to, cause I was, I was still trying to make it work and I invited her to church and all this stuff. But it was so interesting to me how big the cult problem is that I find this random person from work who becomes my friend and lo and behold, she has this horrible kind of culty experience. Um, but also it was so clear to her, like instantly she's like, your religion is unhealthy. And then I took her to church. I taught Sunday school and I was a really good teacher and I would only teach from like the heart. Truly. I don't teach things I didn't believe in at the time. Now I'm not even Christian, but you know what I mean? You know, the vibes. (laughs) Um, But she said to me, and I've never forgot it. She goes, your church is like obsessed with personal righteousness and not about making the world a better place. She wasn't wrong. She wasn't yeah. wrong. Yeah. She wasn't it's wrong. totally true. Well, um, because by being personally righteous, you will make the world a better place. That's what they fucking right. say. And it's that's the last time I ever went to church. Someone said that exact yeah. line. And I didn't know yeah. it was the last time I was ever going to go to church. Because all of us have that last time we don't know about. Just like yeah. we pass yeah, well, the day that we'll die every year. Without knowing. It's true. My my last time going to church, I gave a talk in Sacramento meeting. And then everything shut down from COVID. And I was like, I guess that was my last time giving in church yeah so okay i found i found this thing so the not gonna lie thing the ngl thing that went around you know a month ago or whatever somebody asked uh this friend of mine they said if the church wasn't true would you want to know because of course that was like the thing you know ask like tough church questions and that's what everybody's saying so she says uh she says i would want to know which that's great that's that's great news and then goes on to say i've definitely struggled with this with some things lately there's so much opposition to the church out there and a ton of anti-lds resources weirdly enough though those kind of things kind of reconfirm the truthfulness of the church to me almost all good things are met with opposition also, all bad things are made with opposition. Congratulations, <laughs> welcome to planet Earth. And if this is, and if this really is God's true church, it makes sense that the adversary would do all he could to convince us it wasn't true. 
I know the church isn't perfect, but that's because we are imperfect. There's no chance that us mere mortals could run God's organization without making some mistakes. For me, but for me, the good outweighs the bad by a lot. But remember that cockroach Mormon ad where there's ice cream and it has a cockroach in it? The mm-hmm. irony. But if we want to know if it's true, we have to go to the right sources. If we wanted to know if a scientific, and this is where it gets really crazy. And I feel bad, like I'm not sharing this to shame my friend. I'm sharing this to point out the, the, the issues. If we wanted to know if a scientific theory was correct, we wouldn't read articles written by the doubters. We'd read the articles written by the scientists who came up with the theory. That's what we have to do. Go to the right source, a.k.a. our Heavenly Father or God. To the person who asked me this, if you ever need someone to talk to, feel free to reach out. So I I wanted to, like, jump on them and be like, no, you can't, like, you cannot say that. You can't, like, I did end up, I did end up responding to their story where they shared this. And... Uh, and I just said, that's not how science works. Um, and I, and I clarified the science part and she says, wow, I didn't realize you were so into science. I'm like, yes, I love truth. Um, and learning new things, but, um, yeah, so I did at least correct the science part, made it clear that, you know, her experience with the church doesn't come from like any scientific basis. And like, you don't just read the theory because then every theory is correct. Like if you want, like, if you read of the work of the person who came up with it, right? <laughs> and, she uh, said the opposite of what you should do. Well, like exactly. I don't know if the, I don't know if this got on mic, but at least like our preamble discussion was me asking whether or not the bite model was actually academic or peer reviewed, right? Right. Yeah. And as soon yeah. as I heard about the bite model, I think like almost every new idea I hear about when I go on Wikipedia, I scroll down to the criticism section. Like before I've mm-hmm. even read or understood the idea, I'm looking for the criticism. And yeah. I think part of it is, is, hey, I was bamboozled for 30 years of my life. Before I buy into another idea, I'm going to find out everything that's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. That's healthy. That's you healthy. Know? And her saying that, like, you wouldn't go to the source that questions it. That's the opposite of how science works. Because if you can't disprove something, it's called a non-falsifiable. It doesn't mm-hmm. carry any weight. Because... And also, when she says, I don't use someone to science, it's like, I'm into evidence-based facts. <laughs> like, because yeah. you can't say facts necessarily. You're into evidence. That's what, if you're into science, you're into evidence. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she's literally telling people to go out and deny evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have to go to the right sources without having, I'm happy that you corrected her about that's not how you find uh, reliable information. Uh, that's one of the things that happens if you produce a research, you know, like a f- officially produced research, is you have to have peers go and rip it apart. That's part mm-hmm, of what yeah. you do. It's peer reviewed, and mm-hmm. they rip it to shreds. They they, and that's how you know something is worthy of being published is if it can ha- hold up against criticism. But the whole Mormon Church being true. It falls into this like crazy wiggity whack rhetoric that ultimately leaves Mormons being like, well, you can't prove that it's not. And so they just admit it's a non-fucking falsifiable. But if you present all this evidence, they pull back to the most basic question, 
which is, is there a God? And you can't tell me that it's not. And right. like, but you're, but you're like, I but that's not what I'm arguing. I can show you that Joseph Smith was a charlatan and that the Book of Mormon Literally. didn't happen. And, I know. I, yes, yes, I spoke yes. to, as, as recently as the start of the year, there are two sweet missionaries who helped me, uh, you know, do some, do some, I don't know, some menial labor activity who were, who were trying to redeem me. And they sent me this talk from like the 70s or 80s. It was like a BYU presentation or some kind of fireside about the Dead Sea Scrolls. And this guy kept talking about like the scholars of the world will tell you this and the scholars of the world will tell you that and blah, blah, blah. And I said, why do you think the scholars of the world like don't want to find evidence of the Book of Mormon? Or like, the, anyway, these missionaries literally believed that the reason why we couldn't find any evidence for the Book of Mormon was because there was this conspiracy to suppress it. And I was like, do you understand how like grants work and research works? Like if there was somebody who could legitimately prove the book of Mormon, he would just have money coming out of his asshole. Like this would be the greatest archeological, historical, anthropological discovery of all time. Like there yeah. should be there, there, if there was anything credible to indicate that the book of Mormon might be what it says it is, people would be all over it because it would be a major breakthrough and they'd have their, their name on the New York times and uh, all that kind of shit guys. Like there is a major incentive to try and to try and find proof. That's what, that's what scientists don't want to suppress information. It's that's what churches do guys. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I, I told them. I was like, churches suppress information that goes against the narrative. Scientists are fighting for breakthroughs so that they can be the next Einstein. They want to go against the paradigm. That's how you become historical, right? Oh, I never thought of it that way. I'm like, well. Hey, you planted that, a seed, brother. You planted yeah. a seed. Oh, Bishop. <laughs> you, you, planted, you planted a seed, and, like, that's ultimately all that you can do. Yeah. But this, the informational control, I think it reminds me of the behavioral control that Elder Jackson was saying that, like, if there was a physical consequence, it would mm-hmm. be read. Mm-hmm. And then we decided this is like a deep orange red, like the yeah. fall orange. I think that the informational control, if the church could do it, they would do it. Mm-hmm. If they yes. could ban all the actual factual information, if they could ban um, people from finding objective information, because everyone's always like, you can't listen to anti, they have a bias. But when you look at it scientifically, you can't listen to believing Mormons because they also have a bias. Have a bias. Yeah. So yeah. who you have to listen to is fucking use a chart, use the bite model, use mm-hmm. find a third party person like someone like Steve Hassan or Yanya Lalich, who has no care in the world of the Mormon Church is true or not, they're going about their business. And they can assert, they can find it. Um, and so there is like Joseph Smith's criminal records are an objective piece of evidence. They were written. Yeah. Before he founded the church, he was convicted of fraud before he founded the church. So how can these people say, oh, they were just out to get him, just suppressing God's word? No, he, he was a nobody. He was a felon. That's all he was. So anyways, I think I give this an orange in my opinion. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the, the turnaround vote here and give it a red. The reason why I say really? red is because the church – can't do everything to suppress information, but it does everything that it possibly can do to suppress hmm. information. True. So maybe we should scale things based on intent instead well, of result. 
it's they like they actually do everything that they possibly could do to control information. I think like on the behavior one, there is more they could do and they don't I mean, do it the, for fear of social reprisal on the information control. They are doing everything they can do to try and control the narrative. And they and also, limit they have their own news services and stuff, yeah. right? Like Deseret they have news, a whole propaganda Utah. wing. News. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Enzyme. Yeah. Enzyme, as we call it in Canada. Enzyme, as they call it in Utah. Yeah, Liahona. All those things are deliberate information control. They have a propaganda machine. And, and like, one thing that I found interesting, this, this whole thing with the AP child sex abuse article, is that they said there were egregious errors and misstatements in the reporting that drew erroneous conclusions. I'm not a lawyer, but that sounds like libel. So if it's not, if it's libel, why aren't you charging them with libel? It's because it's not. Also, libel. they never specified what things weren't true in the report. They, they just said there were, they went through a list of things that were, were quote unquote misstated in the timeline. Um, but if you dig any deeper, like I read the sentencing hearing for the wife of that one guy in Arizona and they go through like how long the bishop, they're interviewing the cop who interviewed the bishop. The bishop didn't show up, you know, to the trial at all. But the cops talking about like how often, this is how many times the bishop met with this guy. This is how many times he, the bishop says that the guy said he was recording the videotapes of the abuse. So the church is like really try. If, if the AP article got it wrong, they'd sue for libel. They have a whole law firm at their disposal. Mm-hmm. They haven't sued for libel yet. Why not? Well, because it's not actually as untrue as what the church says it is. It's not untrue yeah. at all. Yeah. The church just used inflammatory language. And remember they said in the article, uh, we, we, we condemn abuse with harsh language, but didn't mm-hmm. actually use harsh language about abuse. They used harsh mm-hmm. language about the article because yeah. erroneous yeah. is harsh language. And oh, the only thing that they did was say, well, he he was excommunicated by the time he was raping the baby, and they they create they create this timeline that mm-hmm. from a legal as someone that used to work in child protective services, mm-hmm. I don't give a shit about a timeline. Mm-hmm. What matters is that that man confessed to molesting his daughter. That bishop did nothing at the advice of the church hotline, mm-hmm. and he went on excommunicated or not. No one cares. No one outside the church cares. No one cares. Mm-hmm. This man went on to then rape and molest his other daughters. Mm-hmm. That's all we care yeah. about. And his wife allowed it. So the church is like trying to make, I think that the whole, their whole statement isn't going to convince anybody that's out. Mm-hmm. It's only going to try and it's, help the people in that are like, I yeah. have cognitive dissonance and I'm uncomfortable. I need to find yeah. evidence that supports my pre-existing bias because the, 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 the state of Arizona does not give a flying fruitcake, a monkey's ass about the timeline they like, don't yeah. the abuse was preventable and it wasn't prevented <laughs> I, I have i have two brothers-in-law her attorneys i was asking them questions about privilege before this came out and one thing they told me was that if if they have a client the client comes in and says i killed somebody that's privileged if they have a client who comes in and says i killed somebody and i'm going to kill somebody again today or tomorrow or next week if 
they believe that somebody's going to be harmed, there is no privilege. And I think it's similar hmm. for social workers and therapists. Like if, if you learn information through a privileged communication where somebody indicates that they will harm somebody, that's not privileged communication. No. And, and honestly, for social work, we don't have privileged communication. Right. If, 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 if you're my client and you tell me that you molested your kid, I have to act on that right then and there. Um, mm -hmm. As a therapist, things are a little bit different. Um, mm -hmm. I have to assess differently because that's like a duty to warn and stuff like that. And I obviously staff with my supervisor and just act alone. Um, but my client population doesn't have a high chance of those kinds of things. Um, but I was, I'm real with my clients. I'm like the only time I'll break confidentiality is if I think you either know about abuse or you're doing abuse. That's the right. only time. And right. I said, and I would help you write that report, file that report with you. I don't let mm -hmm. you have, leave you alone. Even if you're turning on yourself, I don't just let, leave you hanging. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm nice. <laughs> um, but he asked the man, the perpetrator, do you want to report self-report? And he was like, no. And then he just like went about his business. Yeah. But the fun, the fundamental underlying issue and why that bishop needs to be charged is that everyone involved in this, it just sends the message. If we break it down simply, they literally do not care mm -hmm. if yeah. a child is being sexually abused. They, it's no. literally. Cause they, they excommunicated the guy and they say, look, Hey, you know, we did, we, we did church discipline. That's uh, you know, we did our part. Like he's not Mormon anymore. That's like with the, um, with the Lafferty's and the under the banner of heaven yeah. stuff. Yeah. Whenever I've talked to a member about that, show they say something along the lines of well they weren't mormon when they did all of these things it's like where do you think they learned this mm -hmm. like behavior and these ideas like where do you think this came from mm -hmm. but of course well you know like it's not our, it's not our problem right yeah yep i completely concur so what do you think elder jackson is it red zone for informational control or orange zone you know, that's kind of tough because you did bring up the intent issue. Um, yeah. <laughs> I actually, you know what? I, I would say red, honestly, because I'm looking at these other ones, like unethical <laughs> use of confession. Mm -hmm. And that's just Ooh, what we were talking red. about. With, <laughs> yeah. Withholding forgiveness or absolution. Uh, manipulation of memory, possible false memories. Uh, extensive yeah. use of cult-generated information and propaganda. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Information control is red. Yeah, I, I, yeah. you're right. It, you turned You turned me. You turned me. Like those sunset drinks, those margaritas that are orange at the top, and it just slowly falls into red. <laughs> like, I think, like on the behavior control, there's things they could do through home teaching or whatever, I think, to kind of yeah. enforce without dragging people onto a compound. They could do more to enforce these things. They could have yeah. more regular interviews and and stuff like that. They could enforce it harder, but they don't. Um, but information control, the only thing they have left is to basically form a closed community. There, There is yeah. no other information control step they can make other than lock everybody down. And that's why I'd say like it's right in the red is that they are actively doing everything they can. And they asked all the women, you know, a few years ago to take a social media internet fast. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's pretty fucking scary. That. 
yeah. it's pretty fucking scary. And so the, should we should we do? Oh, sorry, I mean to interrupt you. No, I'm interrupting you. Go ahead, dear. Mother. Oh, I was just gonna say, should <laughs> should we go on to thought control? Yes. Is yeah, this too yeah. long? Never nope. mind. Let's We're going. Forget everybody that. gets. <laughs> everybody gets the John Delin free pass at least once in their amateur <laughs> ex-Mormon podcast experience. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. So I, I I feel good that we have two reds now. We're on to thought control. Take it away, gentlemen. Who's John? Me. No, oh, it's a gentleman. Sorry, oh, gentleman. <laughs> so take it away, gentlemen, oh. for thought control to read the. I don't have it up, but I remember okay. a lot okay. of it. So require members <laughs> to internalize the group's doctrine as truth. Absolutely. The whole time since you're a child. (laughs) Yeah. Adopting the group's map of reality as reality. Instill black and white thinking. Decide between Mm -hmm. good versus evil. Organize people into us versus them. And this one's interesting is because coming to a realization of this, a lot of these points is what made me say I can't continue to participate. Ooh. Yeah. Because especially... I, I read an article, it was on cracked.com, like of all places, but it was like five ways the world is getting better. And they were talking about how like teen pregnancy is going down. Not only teen pregnancy is going down, but the age of reported first se- sexual experience is increasing. So people nice. are, are, are starting to have sex older. Um, people are drinking and abusing substances less, less people in poverty than what there's ever been. All these reasons why the world's getting better. And I was like, the church keeps talking about the wickedness of the world, but even like three out of these five things are in line with the mission of the church. So yeah. how is the world getting more and more wicked? And then as I thought about it, it was, wait a minute, gay marriage. That's what they're talking about when they talk about the wickedness of the world, gay marriage, trans ooh, rights ooh, and gay marriage. Ooh, ooh. That's it. Cause that's yeah. the only thing where like the world and the church are different and the world is doing something. The church really you know, that's not really in line with the mission of the church. Women have rights. Yeah. People are busting through gender (laughs) binaries. People are living Mm -hmm. their truth. Mm -hmm. People are questioning religions. People think churches should be taxed. Like, Oh, I love that you brought this up so hard because I heard the best quote ever from a book last night. And I want to share it. That's okay. It's really short. (laughs) So with the thought control, I was listening to this book called Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, and there's a character who, it's essentially like society's crumbling. The lead protagonist, her father is a pastor, and ultimately, I can kind of tell through the foreshadowing, this young girl grows up to form her own religion. Like, that's the vibe. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and she calls the book like Earth Seed and God is Change, and that's the religion. So Octavia Butler created her own religion for the book. So things are getting bad. Society's crumbling. And she's really smart. She's a teenager. And her dad, he's a pastor, and he says to her, you think the world's going to end, don't you? And what she wanted to say to him, but she didn't, was, no, your world is going to end. Mm-hmm. And what she meant by that was a world that's controlled by this certain Christian narrative. Mm-hmm. And because she, as a young girl, was researching like the bubonic plague and how Europe totally changed after it. Mm-hmm. And so with the church is like so obsessed with the end of days and the apocalypse, it's a, it's a cult tactic. Every cult is. Um, I think about it now and I'm like, no, the end of your days are coming. Like the la- the podcast that y'all did with my husband, I like loved it when Elder Jackson was like, it's done. <laughs> like The cat's out of the bag. Like it's done. It made me hopeful People are seeing the Trojan horses. Um, 
I think that you're exactly right. Like there are a lot of positive things going on in the world and they're progressive things and we're getting a massive amount of pushback. But if we hold firm and we hold tight, the pendulum will swing. Fascism does not last. The longest it lasts is seven years. Like it, mm-hmm. it doesn't look great for these oppressive systems, but they're holding out so hard. Um, the church is one of those oppressive systems to me that I'm like, no, mm-hmm. your apocalypse is coming, homie. <laughs> the rest of us right. are going to be fine. Like, <laughs> but that's yeah. the, cause the thought control is so there. I was scared as a Mormon. I was like, man, the world's going to end, but the church will take care of us. And then the pandemic happened and I was like, no, it won't. <laughs> They're going to nope. let us all just, I don't know. Yeah. But that's my little story. Thanks for listening. Good quote. No, I, I, I think I think you're exactly right. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so the, I think the church gets a red on that first one, the require members mm-hmm. to internalize groups' yeah. doctrine as truth. Uh-huh, like, totally red. Because the church, the mainstream Mormon church, from what I understand, community of Christ is a little bit more wishy-washy about, like, truth and doctrine and stuff. Hell but yeah. the, the mainstream church is very... Like, this is the truth. This is true. Um, and they also do the changing of the yardstick on that one, too. So um, next, next one is change person's name and identity. So usually what I see on ex-Mormon, they gave me a new name in the temple. They made me go by elder <laughs> on my mission. But one thing I'm going to think of, we had a, a convert when I was in the YSA ward. He was really, really active in some kind of born-again Christian or general Protestant church. And he joined the church. He was a member's uh, boyfriend, but we needed to socialize him properly. Nobody ever explicitly said it, but it was like, we needed to get him to think and be and act like a Mormon. And Mm -hmm. he kind of struggled with that because he had a lot of very meaningful spiritual experiences in his old church. Right. Mm -hmm. But whenever he'd bring up like these spiritual experiences from his old church, it made everybody very uncomfortable. So there's like this unconscious effort to make converts change to be like everybody else. Hmm. And I saw a couple like general Protestant kind of Christians who joined the church while I was in the single adult ward. And it was a similar kind of thing. They talk about their experiences outside of the church that were meaningful and spiritual to them. And it would make people feel uncomfortable. They yep. introduce new ideas and make people feel uncomfortable. So people jump on this change person's name with the temple and, and missions, but there is actually an active effort when people convert to the church to socialize them and get them to behave and think like Mormons. Yeah. I completely I, agree. I think that's interesting. Cause yeah, like my mind went to like, yeah, you get your new name, right. You know, super cool whenever i've told member friends that you know there's only like 31 names that they just rotate through they're like what really i'm like yeah like it's not it's not the magic you think it is mm-hmm. uh could you imagine in heaven when all the men are calling out their wives names you know mm-hmm. and and you know what what would that end up being three percent of the men are naomi naomi yeah naomi oh, yeah. where are you and yeah. then you know the other three percent are you know, whatever, whatever the other female names are. Beulah, you know. Edith um, and, yeah, some other garbage name of some apostle's mother. (laughs) So (laughs) I think I, like, I I think that the changing the person's name and identity kind of ties more in with 
the like with the sacrament prayer with like the basic stuff of like to take his name upon you right is is kind of more of what it is and obviously like when you're on a mission you're elder or sister so and so but i do think um just the changing the identity is kind of the big one uh like we've all probably seen the convert or the convert family and they come to church and they just don't get it Mm -hmm. they just don't act like us and then they go inactive and they stop coming and everybody's actually kind of happy they stop coming because they didn't fit in i had a a roommate say because she served a mission in the uk Mm -hmm. she was like the whole ward was converts and you could really tell. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hmm. what does that even mean? Because my parents were converts, so I didn't get it. But also my dad, you know, was subtly or obviously discouraged from being as native, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. he cut his hair. He, you know what I mean? And he, yeah. with effort, he can pass for white. It's not something like that's whatever point is. They even your non and he had tons of spiritual experiences as an indigenous person and as he was all these other religions before he was Mormon and that was all discouraged like um you know he met a holy man from our culture and it was like God don't talk about that <laughs> mm-hmm. but I I completely agree and it can even go yeah yeah I think. I think that's why it's higher on the scale. But yet again, with the examples that you're giving, people are doing the, but the pamphlet instead of like going deep. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Dig deeper y'all like dig, dig. It's painful, but for therapeutic reasons, you're going to have to do it. It's there. Like, Like, yeah, dig deeper. You get a new identity. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So use of loaded language and cliches, which constrict knowledge stop critical thoughts and reduce complexities. And I think even see this on the, the, the ex Mormon side. I know I keep bashing our, our listeners, but it's something like it's, you take, I've been taking a hard look at myself. Like I have just been mentally trained over 30 years to use loaded languaging cliches and to think very black and white and to be very rigid and to not accept the grayness that's in life and, and the diversity that's in life. And you come out of the church, you're still thinking like a Mormon you're just thinking against the church instead of thinking for the church. And so when I see some of these bite model posts come up and about how the church 100% fits into every one of these single things with all of my shallow examples, you're still in this mindset of number three, in my opinion. Hmm. You, you still that's, think that's in terms deep. of loaded language and cliches and, and very black and white. True. Yeah. So, and, Keep going. I just, there's a lot of depth and, and uh, nuance. I know that I'm using air quotes as I say that because everybody says that damn word now, nowadays, but there's, there is a lot of like complexity um, to reality and not everything's a one size fits all kind of deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've already just to toot y'all's horns or make your heads big full of gas. I've already seen, positive improvements like in y'all's behavior anyway about big topics that are uncomfortable like racism Mm. like in the episode that y'all did with my with my husband when bishop jensen said active mormons are a stone throw away from white supremacy i completely agree with you but it was i'm not gonna get choked up what the hell um 
to hear that from a white man, what I, but me and my brown husband <laughs> have been talking about was so fucking validating. And so for you to see that, for you to see unprompted, I mean, my husband was there and he's chill, but like unprompted to connect those very serious dots that people of color who leave the church have to deal with and deal with when we're in it was like, oh, people really do decolonize. <laughs> Ex-Mormons yeah. really can can come to our side. Like um, to for you to make that connection was already improvement because when we first started talking, you're like, what's the benefit of decolonizing? Like, explain it to me. And then, boom, you're, like, freaking calling it out. Like, look at you, team. Alex was already – Elder Jackson was already kind of there a little bit. But so his 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 changes I've seen are more subtle. But when you said that, Bishop Jensen, I was like, damn, he's really healing from the Mormon church. <laughs> <laughs> he's really peeling away from those – scary little blinders so mm -hmm. i'm i'm proud of you and i don't mean to get sappy god this is such a <laughs> this episode is full of emotional roller coaster. yeah this is a roller coaster <laughs> well do you, if i could like if i can say one thing just on if i can speak to that just a little bit um and i don't know if i mentioned it on the podcast like one of my earliest friends from childhood memory was indigenous we had these uh next door neighbors who were first nations and um and so he was one of my first friends and he was just, uh, he was a couple years older than me. So he was kind of cool that way. Um, I can remember like waiting for him to come home from school off the bus uh, so we could play. Uh, his parents were very kind people. Uh, at least like I remember them as being very kind, uh, talkative kind of people. Um, and then my dad is operates one of his businesses on indigenous land and he's loved it. It's a paintball field, but the band's always been good to him. He's been good to the band. And when people complain about like, Oh, I was driving my car. I think somebody hit my car with a paintball gun, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's like, okay, just take it up with the band. Right. And, and they're like, Oh, never mind. Okay. Uh, so I, like I've had a lot of positive interactions and, and positive memories with indigenous people throughout my life. Um, so when I hear stories of, of mistreatment within of indigenous people, it, it, um, I don't know. I, I get particularly upset as a white person over that. Um, well, and I do think too, that in, in leaving the church, um, you kind of start taking apart other things in your life and you also open up to other, other aspects that maybe you saw, like I grew up, there were really great uh, non-member kids that I went to school with. Mm -hmm. um, but I always, I never hung out with them, you know, and I, I always thought, you know, well, they're going to lead me astray, blah, blah, blah. And then when I leave the church, I'm like, actually they're normal, decent human beings. Wow. Like <laughs> who would have, who would have known? And so I think, I think that in leaving the church, you kind of start to deconstruct. At least I have, like I've started deconstructing a lot of other things, um, including like misogyny that I was brought up with. And then, um, and each of those things, I think I've been in different phases of, even outside of the church where, oh, I might've said something that was kind of homophobic. And then, you know, one of my siblings or a friend points it out. And, and I think, I mean, that's what this whole podcast has been about 
is learning and growing. And um, now that we've fully grown, we're going to stop the podcast. Just kidding. <laughs> um, no! I'm I'm in a toxic relationship with this podcast. I don't think I'll ever ever stop. Uh, Bishop Jensen and I have talked multiple times about stopping. Uh, and every time I come up with a new new idea, he'll send back in in quotes. He'll text back, oh, I'm only going to do this until December. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah no, we'll see, we'll see. Um, yeah, but we're, we're glad that, um, that our learning and our growth has shown like, through, say, through the show. I, it has. Like, for all white people, I think, in a Western country, there's a certain level of uh, racism that's acceptable. Yes. Um, we all um, tell racist jokes, um, kind of looking over our shoulder to make sure there's no no person who could be offended by it. Um, so my boss, his wife is from Mexico, and uh, he's not like that. Um, hmm. With with like any, and so working with him um, over the last few years. Um, finding out that his wife's from Mexico, just seeing, cause you kind of see like white, just seeing other people kind of make maybe racially offensive comments and then seeing his reaction to it. I always just got the feeling that that wasn't something that was acceptable. And then even when I was working for him and I was an active member of the church, um, he was, he's just, he's somebody with a strong moral uh, compass. He has a sense of values um, that he acts very, very consistent with. And even though he is as much of a, um, he can be a very tough um, business person. I've also seen him have a, um, show a lot of deep care and concern for people and, and be extremely empathetic. Um, and I would say I never met somebody like him in the church um, in my whole life. You know, I, I love that you said that because I had this epiphany while, while door dashing actually hmm. was that the stake presidents that I had, cause I know my previous episode was about like my toxic ward I grew up in. Um, my stake presidents were not great men. They weren't hmm. even good men. Mm-hmm. Their sons were bullies. So mm-hmm. that says, what does that say about their parenting? Mm-hmm. They called misogynistic bishops. They weren't even good men. They were mm-hmm. halfway decent, mediocre, and that's who the church rewards. Not mm-hmm. the anti-racist yep. gentleman like your boss, mm-hmm. not the progressive gentleman who fights misogyny, not someone who's tr- not the people. I'm not Christian, so I don't feel to get it twisted. But the church really does not promote and uphold people who are actually Christ-like. Because I think Jesus yeah. Christ as a concept, Jesus of Nazareth, cool dude. Like I'm into that. Mm-hmm. He's really, really rocks my socks. He's a, he's a, whoever and whatever that was about. Cool, cool, cool situation. What Christianity mutated into, no. But they don't actually reward. But part of thought control, I think, is that you as a member, you can't even think negatively about your leaders. Mm-hmm. You can't even think yeah. negatively about them. That's a thought stopping. That's part of thought stopping. Cause I think if you were still an active member of Bishop Jensen and you had that thought, 
the little the little Mormon whisper inside you would be like, "Don't think something like that. That's yeah. not right." Like I, Speak I was no ill of the Lord's anointed <laughs> or whatever. I, I, yeah. Don't even well, think it. Well, this is part of the undoing of my faith is that I I'm working for this guy and he's not a believer in anything, and at his core, he's just one of probably the best people I've known. And Mm -hmm. um, Mormonism gave me at least this, this complex where like you make a mistake, you have to self-flagellate, you know, until you feel bad enough. uh, And then finally you can feel good. So anyway, I came in uh, to work for these businesses as a a newly, a freshly minted uh, chartered accountant. And I'm running a set of books uh, for this business and I miss uh, an invoice from a vendor, uh, the first the first month I'm closing the books by myself, I miss an invoice from a vendor that was it was material to the financial statements. It wasn't like uh, it was a big number, and it significantly changed the the net income after tax figure. And I found out that I'd made a big whoopsie, and I feel like I'm in the depths of hell, and I need to tell myself how how could you be so stupid. And I'm like piling all this guilt on myself and I go tell my boss about it. He's not happy, but his only question is, okay, what are you doing to make sure this doesn't happen again? And I was like, that's it. That's what I said to myself was that's it. Like no, you know, kind of drawn out guilt trip. It's just focused on the future and getting better. (laughs) And I was like, in all the times I confessed anything, I never once had a bishop who approached me like this, like who just said, Hey, like you can't be playing a hundred percent for the team. If you're beating the shit out of yourself, I need you to focus and move forward. (laughs) Right. Is Mm -hmm. kind of the the attitude of like guilt trips and, and beating yourself up. Not productive. (laughs) I need you to fix the problem, find out how you're not going to let it happen again and, and get better next time. And it's like, holy shit. Like what I, I just thought, I was like, how different would my life have been if that was the messaging I got my whole life? Like find out how you made a mistake, find out what you need to do differently and forget about the past and move on. Yeah. I have a lot of my work experiences are and toxic work experiences are directly tied to the church because of things like that. Like I essentially have imposter syndrome and Mm -hmm. I get emotional when my supervisor tells me things like you're an intelligent, capable person. I literally will. I I tear up because I'm like, I don't, I wasn't not from my parents, from the church. I could never be as competent as a man. I could never be. And the beating yourself up, freaking out about criticism totally comes from the church and i feel that it's that's where it shows up in my life the most is in my job and my supervisor now was like you're so smart you know all these things i'm not trying to like gas myself up it's literally what she told me and i'm like it's hard for me to like really accept positive criticism from an authority figure mm-hmm. because i never got that me from too. a bishop me too. and so I think that what a perfect and sad example of thought control. My, my dad and I, like, I love my parents very much. And I really, I'm conscientious. 
I don't want to paint my parents into neg- in, in a negative light at all. But there was a talk that came up from Ezra Taft Benson, like in the eighties uh, called beware of pride. Classic. And, and my parents <laughs> never, ever said, son, we're really proud of you. And, and part of it was, I think my mom told me, cause I would like, I was a frustrated teenager and I thought I was doing good stuff, but my parents were kind of withholding of praise and I kind of lashed out over that a bit. And my mom's like, just starts, you know, son, I'm sorry, but there was this talk that Benson gave in this idea of avoiding pride. And so we're just kind of sorry and, you know, but they're telling me this. It, it came from this stupid talk. And um, and so my, my father-in-law, um, I, I passed the the chartered accountancy exams in Canada. It's a three day professional exam, uh, five hours, the first day, four hours, the next day, four hours a day after that. Um, you take the whole summer off to study and prepare for it. It's case based. So it's a written response to a, a business simulation case. Um, you don't ever know what's going to show up. Um, it could be anything. They don't know what the marking rubric looks like until they sample a hundred test results like it's really this kind of grinder right and it's hard to prepare for and my father-in-law told me he was proud of me (laughs) and i bawled my eyes out i still do um because like you're saying like usually the the feedback you get from an authority figure in the church is not positive and um and even, yeah, if my boss tells me I've done a good job on something, I get a lump in my throat. Um, because you're so used, you're trained to beat yourself up and repent and and only focus on the things you you haven't done well mm-hmm. instead of giving your credit, yourself credit for the things you do do, do well. And uh, I... I just based on my life in the church, I think there's a lot of insecurity with members. Um, and when you were talking about imposter syndrome, I wake up every morning, Monday morning, feeling like I have no idea what the hell I'm doing and I don't know why anybody should listen to me. Um, when really, like if I take, if I try to take an objective look at myself, I can say, no, there's reasons why I'm in the position at work that I'm in. And I have done things that other people haven't been able to do. And I've accomplished things that other people haven't been able to accomplish. Um, I've been able to lead people to do things. And and I deserve to be where I'm at. And and I need to get... I need to stop feeling sorry for myself and, and focus on getting my job done. Um, not in like a sense of toxic... Pr- productivity but just in a sense of like no like you know what you're doing (laughs) you don't need to beat yourself up be confident and go out there and get something done right yeah um but that's just not a message you you get at church so i know know we've really gone off on a tangent here but no it's okay i think realizing how much of a cult the church is is deeply therapeutic obviously (laughs) yeah um but the church completely 
my sis, my sister, sister cousin, um, talked about it <laughs> yeah, on her oops. episode. <laughs> um, the church preps you to be groomed by abusers, whether it's your mm-hmm. boss or a relationship. Because I had two, one especially, abusive supervisors right after I graduated. And I felt like I had to stick through that job. And this this woman was like literally a bully. Mm-hmm. She would say unethical things to me. She even said pretty racist stuff to me about my about my boyfriend at the time not my husband um it was horrible and i felt like i needed to just stay through i couldn't quit because what had prepped me right my whole life for that kind of fucking dynamic the church i stayed at that job for over a year i should have quit after six months i should have quit in training Mm -hmm. but the church literally preps you for that the church literally preps you for abusers whether that's Mm -hmm. your job or a relationship but unfortunately i've had abuse in both but when you were talking about like not feeling deserving like there was a time when i was active in the church and even up until i met my now husband i didn't think that i deserved a man as good as him when he proposed to me i felt feelings i never thought that i would feel I always thought that if a man proposed to me, it would surprise me. I didn't feel surprised. I felt literally like the deepest feeling of peace. Like, this is right. (laughs) I didn't expect that. I expected like all the other women that I knew, except for like healthy ones, like my sister and her relationship and stuff like that. um, And my brother and his wife are very in love. But I knew so many couples who they would like, pray and have to ask God over and over again if this is the right man for them because they didn't have their own a mental and emotional validation yeah that they would need to ask someone else yeah I'll put my boo boo you're like- not in love <laughs> like or you are but the church has scared you shitless into making these types of decisions mm-hmm. like the church has convinced you that you can't even trust yourself and that's the darkest part of the cult to me Yeah, is that I, we all like, look at us with our imposter syndrome. We can't even mm-hmm. trust our own fucking credentials, like our own life experience that says that we're qualified to do whatever we're going to do. We always have to question everything. And so, um, I don't know. Those are, those are my thoughts and feelings. I, it's just, all related to thought control. <laughs> when you're, when you're talking about the, the day I met my wife, uh, well, I remember seeing her walk into church the first time. I had never seen a more beautiful woman in my entire life hmm. and never will again. Uh, and, and I just thought, I was like, there's, there's no way a girl who looks like that's going to be interested in hanging out with a guy like me. So I just thought it's, you know, uh, nice to look at through sacrament meeting, probably not worth, uh, <laughs> going after. Right. So, um, and then we met, she went out with a guy in the ward for like a month or so. And then they broke up and then, um, like she lived at a house with a bunch of roommates and, uh, and I went over there and just kind of chit chatted with her and got her number. And, um, and we went out and I remember going out with her and I thought never in my life have I met somebody like this. And I don't think I ever will again. Uh, sorry. Um, like, this is 
the type of person I want to be with. And then, um, because, um, she didn't necessarily fit like a Molly Mormon mold. There's so much insecurity about, you know, and I remember going to the temple to pray about whether or not we should get married after things started getting serious. And I, I, I knew from our first date that this is the type of person I want to be with. Um, but because she didn't fit into what an ideal Mormon woman should be like in a lot of ways, I would, there's a lot, just a lot of insecurity. And I remember having the thoughts go through my head, like, Andrew, if this was before your mission, this would be an easy decision. But for some reason, this is a really hard decision. This is like the type of girl you, you, you would have dreamed about being with. But something about the churches or what you think, what the churches made you think an ideal woman is, is like clouded your judgment here. And I just remember thinking like, you know what, it's just she's my best friend. And, and no matter what happens, if she's not going to be a Molly Mormon, that doesn't matter because she's your best friend. And then sure enough, you know, um, about seven years later, she's like, yeah, I'm done with the church. And it's like, well, like you don't want to live life with anybody else. So <laughs> whatever. Right. And now we got out of it together, but I can just say, yeah, that I had a lot of confidence and surety in myself when I was in high school and I was not like, I didn't want to be in the church when I was in high school. And then I kind of brainwashed myself for two years on a mission to fulfill my parents' expectations. And then I just wanted to be an ideal Mormon after that. And, and it was, yes, it created so much insecurity the more I was in the church. And I remember asking myself, like, why am I so much more unsure and unable to make a decision now in my twenties compared to what I was like in like 16 or, or 15, right? Like, why was that guy more capable? Just to, yeah, sum up my sappy rambling. I think my wife was a slam dunk and, uh, and the church made me overthink it. Yeah. <laughs> that That's really it, right? It sounds It'll like do it. It sounds like you were in a similar, that. similar situation there as well. I think you were, you, it sounds like you were on the other end of it is that you were obviously a slam dunk, but the church made you think that you weren't. Yeah, basically, and that I I didn't deserve someone as wonderful as my husband because men, you know, were inherently beasts, and he wasn't. Because <laughs> yeah, literally, because you're taught to like fear them and respect them like they're lions or something. It's really right. Silly. So I think it's fair to say that the church gets uh, a red on thought control because it also mentions, um, it also mentions memories are manipulated and this isn't something I think the church deliberately does. But, uh, I remember when I was baptized being told like, Oh, you'll feel warm and fuzzy. And I was always mm -hmm. told everybody else was talking about feeling warm and fuzzy. I did not feel warm and fuzzy, but I would say that I felt warm and fuzzy. And so I was like going back to my memories and making up new things about them. The only um, thing I remember about my baptism, I forgot a change of underwear. 
So after I was baptized, I had to sit through like the confirmation and the talks commando. I was like, hey, nice. That's all I remember. That's nice. like the warm and fuzzy feeling is the warm, fuzzy feeling of polyester pants right up against my bare butt cheeks. <laughs> and like uh, a, a and zipper then, uncomfortably close to my wind. Zipper. Yeah, that's dangerous. <laughs> that's that's dangerous. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, then there's teaching thoughts, topping techniques, which the church definitely does. Denial, rationalization, doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith, that kind of thing. Chanting is mentioned. Uh, singing or humming. I mean, kids in the church literally sing, I belong to the church of Jesus Christ of yeah. Latter day Saints. Like, okay, if that's not a call, follow I don't the know. Prophet, what it is. Follow the prophet. Follow the prophet. We worship Joseph Smith's song, Praise to the Man. Yeah. Like, Praise, growing oh, up. Seriously, the, I hate that song. And I think, like, I've been, I know I've been taking pot shots at ex Mormons, right? And it's like, I used to laugh at myself. <laughs> when I was Mormon and now I'm laughing at like ex Mormons, but I'm laughing at myself as an ex Mormon when I make these jokes about ex Mormons. But I think this thought control gets the the brightest red or the deepest red, because this is the one it seems to be the hardest to pull yourself away from. Yeah. And and it's got like the longest lasting effects, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like blinking red. Yeah. It's blinking red. Yeah. It's like what we were talking about before about, how after you leave the church you're still like thinking like a mormon you're still Mm -hmm. thinking in that way in this black and white terms and you're still trying to pull it out of yourself um and you see it on on the ex-mormon subreddit you see people will post and i'm done i'm finished with the church and then everybody who's been there a lot longer says okay yes it's insane it's evil it's crazy but just like slow slow down and like breathe through it right um, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, there's also rejection of rational analysis and critical thinking and constructive criticism. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, forbid critical questions about, of, about leaders, doctrine and, or privacy or policy, uh, Word. labeling alternative belief systems as illegitimate or that they're playing church. Uh, that's a good one from our oh, friend yeah. Brad Wilcox. Yeah. Um, and then instill new map of reality. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but Mormons, you're taught to live in your own world, right? In, in a different, on a different planet, basically. I think they, yeah. And then we've talked, like we've talked about it. I can't remember what episode, but we have talked about like, you leave the church and you're still thinking like a Mormon. I think ways you can tell you're still thinking like a Mormon emotions validate my opinion. Mm-hmm. So if I feel a certain way about something, then that means it must be true or factual, uh, black and white, um, shallow analysis, you know, quickly drawing conclusions. Those are all things that you think that's the way you're trained to think as a Mormon. So if you leave the church and you're still thinking that way, you're, you're still a Mormon. <laughs> yeah the the polarities of thought are very hard to unlearn and it's actually like a christian problem because other ex hardcore christians experience the same thing and like assigning morality to everything Mm -hmm. and then another thing that i've been thinking about that is applicable in my preparation for this throwdown Mm -hmm. was um true story when when i think did y'all have this too where like if someone told you something that didn't fit with the church's spiritual narrative. You like didn't know what to do with it. And you're like, they could be lying. 
mm-hmm. like they could be telling their they could be telling a lie and then once i like grew up and like i left byu idaho uh, people would tell me personal stories about things that had happened to them that were spiritual. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, I have no reason to believe that they're lying. But when yeah. you're a Mormon, if someone had a spiritual experience that doesn't line up with the beliefs, you're instantly like, how do I, they could be lying. And it's like, actually people only lie if they have a reason to. And yeah. this person disclosing something like this. I mean, you, you literally learn how to sift through lies when you leave the church. Cause when you're in the church, you really don't know to be honest, yeah. in my opinion, like I can yeah. smell a lie. Now when I was a Mormon, I would be like constantly confused when people <laughs> would tell me stuff if it didn't fit the narrative. But now mm-hmm. I look back at the things that I used to question and I'm like, they could have been telling the truth. But at the yeah. time I was a Mormon and I'm like, there's no way they saw that. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's the same as, you know, when people pray about the Book of Mormon and they find out it's not true through prayer, then what does the missionary say to that, right? Like, you're lying. You obviously didn't pray with true intent. You know, the devil's deceiving you, right? Like, they have to find all these other reasons instead of being like, no, maybe this person honestly felt that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it exactly. has to be something else. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so thought control gets a red, uh, I, I would say. Uh, emotional that's, that's control. The, that's the section. Thought control is the one that had everybody here bawling except for the robot Elder Jackson. Hey, listen. I don't think it's a so- robot. a moderator. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I just don't cry. Okay. You I don't. You don't to- feel things, and that's why you didn't last very long in the church. Okay. It's true. It's. Tr- <laughs> I actually think. I actually think that's part of it. We're- I, I, I feel things. I just. It's. I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I haven't cried in four and a half years. So. Uh, I'm still waiting for that that next cry. Who knows? Who who knows when that could be and what it would be over? Probably over something really lame. But I'm just not. I'm just not a crier. So I think, that's like, me. I think Hi the church everyone. Of, I'm Elder Jackson. <laughs> that's my sad story. The, the church. The church definitely goes for strong emotional appeal, right? And it. Yeah. I think people are just geared to experience or or process or make decisions through emotions get trapped in the church for a longer period of time. Yeah. Well, I had this conversation with my sister that was pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, is that she, so her husband's not a car either. He's like you, Elder Jackson. And my sister explained to me that due to the misogynist bishops that we had mm-hmm. and other experiences, but predominantly that one, uh, she, she thinks that when men cry, it's a tool of manipulation because of church leaders. And I was oh, like, damn, wow. that's a freaking bomb dropped. And yeah. I, I see tears as pretty sincere the majority of the time. Mm-hmm. But we had like literally like abusive bishops tear up about something yeah. all the fucking time. Yeah. And so she was so for her for her preference, she's like, I just I feel like I can't trust it. So so I aired out her business on here if she's okay with that. No, that's well that's very interesting. Well, I she, never she'll listen back to it and maybe come on and fire back. <laughs> well, so, like yeah, I had, how dare you tell people that? I had a, I had a, a young men's leader. Like I didn't go on trek because I thought it was stupid, and my mom surprisingly also thought it was stupid. Um, and she was like, hey. "I know I've told you you have to go on every like church activity, but she's like, this is some dumb BYU shit." You know, <laughs> was basically what she said. Um, well, like my mom comes from pioneer stock, so she's like, 
my ancestors didn't cross the plains so that you can pretend to cross the plains. Like mm-hmm. that's making a mockery of their sacrifice was her opinion. Yeah, it is right? weird, right? It, it yes. is like she just thought it was absolute garbage. She went to BYU but thought BYU was super weird. Like my mom's kind of got this rebel in her. Um, and I know when I left the church, I was like, Mom, you taught me to be a free thinker and, and like be independent. And you've had some pretty independent views. So I'm not trying to blame you here. But I'm this is you raised me to think for myself and I'm thinking for myself. Yep. Sorry, Mom. Yeah, and I and not trying to make my, you feel bad, but I thank you for it. You might yeah. be hating yourself for it, but this I am my, what you raised me to be. My mom has mentioned uh, that that she always wanted to raise, you know, independent thinkers and you know, good members of society and whatever. Um, and I just think it's funny that that just means most of her kids are just going to leave the church. Um, and cause she, I think she did a good job, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, I think that that leads to the thought control or the emotional control bit because Trek, uh, Trek is one of those ways that I think the church controls our emotions, right? It puts you in this certain position. It mm-hmm. puts you through this rough time and, you know, says, see, look what our ancestors had to go through when they were persecuted. It kind of raises the persecution complex a little bit as well. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think it in, intensifies it and really drills it into people. So that's one emotional control thing. Like I had a good conversation with my dad about the persecution complex, actually. Mm-hmm. Like he was talking about persecution in Missouri. And there's like some pretty violent language in the Doctrine and Covenants around the time that the saints were gathering in Missouri, right? So I said mm-hmm. to my dad, I said, Dad, imagine a bunch of Muslims buy up like every house in the neighborhood next to yours in the next subdivision. And they say that this is their land and God has given it to them. And they'll redeem it with the shedding of blood if necessary. How comfortable are you going to feel? And and like I use Muslims because they're the violent violent religion in the in Western media, right? So just like yeah. if if this weird fringe group of you know what the media is portraying people you don't violent, understand <laughs> moved next yeah. door and said that this was their land and God had given it to them, are you going to start like? pulling your guns out of your closet and, you know, going to target. Yeah, are you going like, to be concerned? <laughs> it's just kind of, he's like, he's like, I guess we did kind of invite a bit of person. We did invite a yeah. bit of persecution. I'm like, yeah, it's like that. It's not as cut and dry as what we sometimes think it is. Is it right? And was it even persecution or was it just people reacting to the fear mongering created by and yeah then you find out that the leader of this little evil cul-de-sac that has been in your neighborhood now is a convicted felon with rumors of sexually assaulting teenage girls like right right yeah of course yeah. you're gonna be like get them <laughs> yeah. run them out yeah. of town like yeah 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 uh okay so let's let's talk let's go through some of these criteria here on emotional, yeah. Manipulate yeah. and narrow the range of feelings. Some emotions are deemed as evil, wrong, or selfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, sexual ones, yeah. Sexual ones, yeah, yeah that's right. Sex, sexual, sexual emotions 
are equated to lust, which is inherently bad to them. Shifty eyes, because I don't even know what the fuck lust means, honestly. You're in the yeah. mood or you're not. I don't get it. I don't make it make sense to me. And then um, sexual arousal in general is demonized and you're filthy trash if you feel this way. And um, other thoughts, I think, are deemed as sinful that aren't like, ooh, this is a good one. We're always like demonized for gossiping when in fact mm. gossip releases endorphins in the brain it's it, a natural yeah, I, human experience <laughs> yeah i i think it's i actually fun. have a, I, I think i have a more positive opinion of gossip than most people like most Same. people are like i i think gossip is a part of the human experience and it's a it's transmission of information a... i think you should be respectful i think there are like appropriate crazy, ways yeah. times and places and people with whom to gossip but, don't be a bully yeah yeah don't be a bully but you gotta talk about things you know well like one thing like being a manager right if you try to be the mm -hmm. manager who won't put up with gossip you just get cut out of the loop of important things that could be going on in your yeah. organization right so if you give off that vibe like i won't tolerate gossip i'm not talking about people unless they're present Oh, well, what people just cut you out of it and then you're out of the loop and then you, you end up with a whole shit show that's going on under your nose and you, you didn't know about it. Right. Yeah. Word. And there's people that are off limits for me. Like my favorite coworker situation was actually one of my worst jobs. Like the job was bad, but coworkers were awesome. And there was one girl who was like messy. Like she'd gossip about everybody. No one mm -hmm. was safe. And I was like, I don't like that. Yeah. I had people mm -hmm. that were safe, like my friends <laughs> that were cool with me. I was like, I have nothing enticing or juicy to tell you about them. I literally, I literally would do positive gossip about them. Like, mm -hmm. you know how amazing she was when she, et cetera. So you can mm -hmm. literally do positive gossip. You can gas people up that aren't there. You can compliment them. But the way I think that the whole demonizing gossip thing is, uh, yet again, making women a human punching bag in the Mormon church because women do mm. more than men. But also, it's such a way to silence criticism mm -hmm. and to silence potentially useful but also potentially harmful information. Like the fact that you're mm -hmm. not allowed to talk about if a elders quorum leader or someone in the ward makes you uncomfortable. Like, mm -hmm. who is that protecting? Yeah. Who is the anti-gossip protecting? Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. People worthy of being gossiped about. People doing <laughs> shady things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I I th go ahead, Bishop. No, keep going. I've got to I'm going to change directions so you wrap it up. Uh I was going to change directions too, so let's okay. go in yours. Well, is it okay. <laughs> so just when it talks about like emotions being framed as evil, wrong or selfish or whatever, like one thing that I've like a hypothesis I have and maybe you can back me up here, um, is that all emotions have an evolutionary purpose. That's why we yeah. continue to experience them. And so, like, if I get angry about something or if I feel selfish about something or whatever, these quote-unquote negative emotions, if I start to feel them, I'm starting to think, what's the advantage to feeling this way? And what purpose could this serve? instead of just kind of, and what's, what's the right thing to do with this feeling instead of just like trying to dismiss it. Like, you know, anger becomes toxic if you hold on to it for too long. Right. But you're meant to feel angry to motivate you to action, to change a bad circumstance. That's like the evolutionary purpose of anger. Um, mm -hmm. 
so that's as an evolving, growing person, I try to think like, what's, what would be the reason for a human being to feel this over a hundred thousand years? Is there any validity to that kind of hypothesis? That's exactly how that works. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, in my opinion and what I've found. Right. Based yeah. Off of my little evidence. I, and I, 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 I will add that not everything that exists has like an evolutionary function. Like there are some things that just exist because they exist and they didn't have an evolutionary dysfunction. Um, but I do think that our, our emotions and the way that we operate, um, they have value. Yeah. Like if anger moves you to action, like it, it's not a bad thing. Uh, if doubt moves you to, you know, finding out the truth about your situation, it's not a bad thing, right? Like these aren't bad things. I don't think we need to give value to or assign value judgments to them. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. So that's Promise. one thing. Oh, that's will. just how I've tried to grow and evolve is if I feel jealous about something. Okay. Maybe reacting to this poorly if I feel jealous about something, like I can react to it in a good way or I can react to it in a bad way. But is there, like, should I feel jealous about this, right? Mm -hmm. And if I should, then I need to communicate my concerns without being overcome with emotion. I think when I've acted that way, I think I've seen some positive results from that. Is that, you know, there might be an underlying reason to act that way and you need to discuss it, communicate it and, and act appropriately, right? Mm -hmm. word every yeah. emotion is valid every feeling is valid there's yeah. no such thing as good ones or bad ones just ones that are more uncomfortable than others mm -hmm. and why why you know we don't like anger we don't like sadness is because it, if you dwell dwelling can be a problem because you're preventing yourself from feeling the rest of the emotions mm -hmm. so that's right. why honestly but there is no yeah I think numbness is probably a concern from a therapeutic standpoint. No other emotion is. Mm -hmm. uh, I love angry people. I love angry clients because there's honesty and anger. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. in the church, you're discouraged. Numbness is almost preferred. But also with emotion control, I think about, ooh, and y'all have mentioned it before, but it's such like a classic cliche when the Mormon church always like promises happiness joy yes. and happiness you it promises that it. all the time and it's such a fucking farce like it's such a it's pro first off it's promising the impossible because no one can be happy all the time yeah and it's it's a promise of grandeur which all cults do they promise these things that are too good to be true because they are but it also and i mean with the recent stuff i don't know if you all listen to rfm like radio free mormon mm -hmm. they've done a lot of episodes about how basically the church's tactic and you've pointed out to elder Jackson with like Russell Nelson is to like, if you have doubts, just keep your damn mouth shut about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, If you yeah. have doubts, just certainly don't tell anyone be so uncomfortable that you have doubts that you'll just shut the fuck up. Yeah. That's emotion control. <laughs> Cause mm -hmm. doubt is like an emotion. It's a, yeah. it's a critical thinking process, but if you feel enough shame about, having doubts then maybe you'll just not talk about not it talk about them yeah yeah um uh go ahead bishop oh no i completely lost it never mind we're moving on okay 
Had something, uh, lost it, we're going. <laughs> so the the next one is make the person feel that problems are always their own fault, never the leader of the group's fault. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah big red on, on that one. Um, there's a lot of victim blaming, a lot of shame, and uh, it's... You know, yeah, there, I think this is, this is something interesting that I, that I've noticed is that we talk a lot about, um, systems now, right? Like we're shifting away from this, like, well, you know, like it's, um, disabilities and stuff and, uh, illness used to be seen as a moral failing, right? Uh, of, of an individual, oh, you have cancer. So what have you been doing wrong for the Lord to curse you with such, you know, um, Whereas now we're talking more about the systems that create these problems. And I think it's great that we are tackling these systems and stuff, but yes, in, in these cult situations, uh, like the church, it's you, like, it's your fault. You know, what were you wearing when that boy did that to you? Right. One, one thing I've brought up with members of the church. So like, um, you guys are probably might be too young to remember Enron or uh, WorldCom, but these were two major accounting scandals uh, and financial frauds that happened at the in the late 90s. And it, um, the problem is that the, the accounting firm was kind of in bed with these companies, um, kind of turning a blind eye to the scandalous uh, financial accounting policies that these companies were, were using. Um, so you, you almost, you can't get through an accounting degree without you know, hearing about these things multiple times. But one thing they talk about is tone at the top um, is that the tone for the organization is set by management. And mm -hmm. so the tone that, um, that was set by the managers in these companies was highly aggressive um, revenue at all costs uh, kind of thinking. And so because management was super aggressive and, and, turned kind of a blind eye to fraudulent uh, sales and revenue practices that kind of set the tone for the rest of the organization. And so when people talk about that's church culture, not church doctrine, I say, okay, let me walk you through an example of a company that had a toxic culture that became mm -hmm. one of the largest accounting scandals and frauds. Who was responsible and who set the tone for that? Management did. Okay. So who's ultimately responsible for church culture? Who sets the tone at the top? General authorities. There are a lot of toxic and fucked up things about Mormon culture that they could and should specifically condemn from at, from the pulpit in general conference, and they do not. Hmm. So who's responsible? Because we all know about the fucked up things of Mormon culture, right? Management is responsible for correcting corporate culture or group culture. The leader sets the tone for the rest of the organization. As soon as you, if, if you have a, a good old boy culture and a misogynistic culture in your organization and, and management makes it clear that they're not going to put up with that and they terminate or discipline people who continue to do that, it changes. You propagate yeah. what, like, I know this is, this is, this might come under a, a platitudinous buzzword but you you propagate what you tolerate. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if you allow people to blow up and yell at other people or treat people in a demeaning way in your organization, then you are propagating it by tolerating it. 
I mean, yes. look at the slurring of the word Mormon, right? Like mm-hmm. turning it into a slur. They said that one general conference and suddenly yeah. everybody, you know, not everybody, obviously, right? But a lot of people got on board and now it, they treat it, they treat it like the N-word. They're, they're like, well, if you're not one of us, then you can't mm-hmm. say it. You know, it's okay for me to say it, but it's offensive if you say it. And they, they, they do that within, within, dare so, I like, say, Mormonism. They- they got up and said, like, we condemn racism in all its forms. If they got up from the pulpit and said, if you make a joke about another race or ethnicity, you are not a good Mormon. That would change things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But they don't. Damn. If they said, if you, if you, um, if young men of the church do not take responsibility for their own thoughts, and and allow immodest dress or whatever to to take control whatever they need to say right um things would change attitudes towards women would change you know what Mm -hmm. i mean if they said you are responsible for your own thoughts regardless of what a woman is dressing and if you try to use that as an excuse you're not a worthy priesthood holder attitudes would change but they don't say that no right if they say that you can't be a good Mormon and judge people by whether or not they're wearing, wearing a white shirt, things would change, but they don't. Exactly. And that goes back to the very first topic when we talked about behavior control is when we met, when we basically went over how ruthless they are because mm-hmm. they do know uh, Bednar's entire career before the church, which the church is an extension of his career for all of them, mm-hmm. um, was on business psychology. Yeah. yeah. So everything yeah. that you went over and that you explained, and you explained it in the podcast with my with my husband, because y'all talked about like the bait and switch that the church does. Um, mm-hmm. They're so aware of it, and they would do it. But the thing about why misogyny is protected uh, by men and I don't know why women protect it. They're embarrassing. I, I want to help those poor ladies. <laughs> um, but one of the reasons that men, especially church leaders and men at BYU Idaho, as you know, Elder Jackson mm-hmm. protect misogyny is because it makes mediocre behavior or being halfway decent look like a freaking knight in shining armor. Mm-hmm. Look like a solid gold nugget. Yeah. If you don't yeah. beat your wife and you know, call women bitches. Your God, just for doing the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. So if the church called out, uh, you know, and called people to be anti-racist or to be anti-misogynistic, mm-hmm. then all of them would have to step it up. And mm-hmm. they're not interested in doing that. They nope. they feed off of the mediocrity. They feed off of the base level good person. Yeah. Um. Which I guess being a good person just means don't be a horrible one, right? There's this yeah. polarity, right? Don't commit, don't I commit mean, murder. <laughs> but like, why? Why would you change the system that got you into your position of power, right? Exactly. Like that's and Mike, the way... your sons in positions of power too. Yes. Oh no, no. My he's my he's my wife's husband. You know, he's not my son-in-law. <laughs> yeah. It's so the nepotism is a part of it. I had to do a training on um it was a, it was for a class actually on like why nepotism 
is bad for racism. <laughs> mm. And nepotism is basically like a mini controlled example of how like racism's cool because you just stick with the family, but your family's all, you know, see what I'm saying? Right. So we did a whole like training on it and the church is just like ripe with all of these issues that, because one of the things when it comes to toxic management is if you really wanted to change things, you fire all the people that are in management. Like that's the first step you do is mm -hmm. you clean house. You dump that CEO that screams at people. You dump all the supervisors that he promoted. You dump all of the field directors that he promoted and you change it up. Mm -hmm. But time and time again, they'll move around the little people. They'll, yeah, he was a bad bishop. That that bishop let that those kids get right by their dad. But though that stake president's ass needs to be on the line too. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. district, but, yes, but they don't do that. There is, there is, yeah, they're very, very protective, um, and and I th like that's, I think that's a symptom in a lot of organizations. It's very, very hard to clean house and gut like that. But where I'd say, like, it's it's where we have to, members of the church have to hold the church to a higher standard because it, you can't say, well, that's you know, that's really a symptom of of Western capitalistic organizations. Western capitalistic organizations are mammon. You are the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Right? So I can, hey. like, I, can, I can tolerate it at the place that gives me my paycheck. I can tolerate, you know, nepotism, toxic culture, whatever, all those things. And I can say, shrug my shoulders and say, do you know what? It's a symptom of our current cultural paradigm. It's really hard to find an organization that's different from that. What am I going to do? I've got to put food on my table. Like, would it be nice if this was a socialist utopia? Yes, but that's not reality. <laughs> so I got to work somewhere. But the church is a kingdom of God. Like, it, it should be different. It has to be different. It, how can it not be? You're, you talk to Jesus in the temple on those two seats that are equally warm, worn in the Holy of Holies. <laughs> so you can't compare yourself to mammon for a free pass, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be different. So these are good points for Mormons. You go. Sorry. Here's no here. Um, here, so the Saints Unscripted thing. I like mm -hmm. to see what they're saying, and uh, one of their they responded to the AP's abuse article, and they talked about like the church's response and stuff. And mm -hmm. their thing was like, "Don't let this ruin your faith. Like, don't yeah. don't let." this ruin your faith because blah, 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 blah. And I, I commented, I said, the issue is the truth claims of the LDS church. The cases, cases like this showcase that the church is led by people, not an all knowing, all loving God. People aren't leaving because a person did something bad. They're leaving because they're seeing that a good God isn't running the show. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's the bottom line of it is that what's happening doesn't align with the truth claims, right? Like mm -hmm. if, if I was working for a company and I find out one of the managers was a, a rapist, I'd be like, good, fire him. Like, put him in prison. He's done, right? Mm -hmm. I might stay keeping working at the company because the company doesn't claim to have an all-seeing eye that they know exactly who the good people are to pick out, mm -hmm. right? Like, the company releases a statement saying, we hired this person when we thought they were a decent human being, just like everyone else in their life thought they were, right? Mm -hmm. But the church, the church doesn't do that. The church can't do that because of its claims. 
that yeah exactly like amen every i think like hr corporate hr is there to protect the company not the employees mm -hmm. right so you report an instance of abuse to hr hr is going to look at like what's the potential fallout how do we make this go away quietly blah 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 and you say man that's pretty shitty but do you know what from the co company's perspective it's looking out for its own self-preservation and you mm -hmm. can kind of understand even if you don't agree but this is the church of god right yeah we yeah <laughs> we should be flushing these things out and exposing ourselves to the sanitizing light of day and and making apologies and and publicly correcting things because we're we're whole and so when you see it start acting like a normal company it's like this is this is now double fucked right like yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's yucky yeah. Um, okay. I want to get on to the, the next bit cause we have a few more things to cover here. Yeah. Uh, emotional control, promote feelings of guilt or unworthiness. The church doesn't do that at all. Uh, and it, it specifies identity guilt. You are not living up to your potential. Your family is deficient. Your past is suspect. Your affiliations are unwise. That's like a temple question. Your thoughts, feelings, actions are irrelevant or selfish, social guilt, and historical guilt. Wow. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes is on all of those all of those things. Except for well, historical guilt maybe from your family or your ancestry, shame on them for not knowing the truth, but uh, certainly no historical guilt within the cult. Um and then instill fears. Uh, such as fear of thinking independently. Ooh, the outside world. Enemies losing one's salvation, leaving or being shunned by the group, others' disapproval and historical guilt. Wow, this is really crazy. Like, you know, let me, let me, oh, sorry, I got to jump in here. This leaving or being yeah, shunned go. by the group. I've just got to jump in. So I've, one of the businesses that I work with, we have had two people at least two people leave to start their own competing business. Mm -hmm. We, we either do subcontract work for them or they do subcontract work for us. Right. So they left the company under dubious circumstances, but we have found a way to find a mutual, mutually beneficial relationship with these people. Right. So yeah. if they like if they had done what they did to us while they were members of the church, they would have been excommunicated. We found a way to stay friends, and we're mammon. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> and the true church of God only finds ways to like cut people out and and destroy the relationship. We've yeah. you know we found oh you're competing starting a competing business while still working for us. Okay, we confront them with the information. They either, you know, they, yeah, they, they either quit, they resign, or get terminated. Um, mm -hmm. And then after a few months pass, it's like they come and, hey, um, I need some help here. What can mm -hmm. we do? Here's the pricing. Let's sort this out. We can find a way to work together because we all yeah. just want to get rich. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, unfortunately, like, Capitalism can sometimes make better friends than the uh, the, <laughs> the church, the, the gospel Incredible. of Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow. Amen, amen. This is like that's such a good 
example, Steve Hassan in his book, Combating Cult Mind Control, mm -hmm. lists like in quotes what a healthy church says if you leave. Right. And he's like, if that's not how your group is acting, you're in a cult. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, I hope you found what you're looking for, but you're welcome back anytime. Like, that's mm -hmm. what a healthy church says. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, like in a company, like, I think there's, there's advantages to keeping long-term loyal employees because mm -hmm. as the game more experience to become more valuable. But on the other hand, it's like, if you keep, if all you have is long-term experienced employees, it's like you get organizational idea incest where it's just like mm -hmm. every idea is inbreeding and you've got no set of fresh eyes to come in and kind of shake things up and, and help you get better. And, um, and so when people leave your company, you want, you want to stay on good terms so that when they leave and they go out and it's like, where did you come from? I came from XYZ limited. What was that place like to work for? Great culture, great, this great, that great wages, great benefit plan, whatever it is. So that they become an ambassador for your company so that they can, you know, direct candidates your way when you're starting to hire, you know, you that's, that's just what I found is like a healthy business wants to maintain very positive relationships with the people that leave, because mm -hmm. then you can start getting new talent. They become an avenue for you to attract new talent. They're going out mm -hmm. and, and, and put, getting their fingers in several pies. Um, but it's like the church just loves ideological incest. Yeah. Like they don't want new ideas. They don't no. want to grow or expand or like my dad's family is all converts. And, and from what I can kind of observe, the church is healthiest when it's got converts because they, they bring new ideas and, and kind of tone down the um, orthodoxy. You know, if there's one thing preventing the church from being a cult, it has to be converts who come in, you know, a convert bishop who's like, I'm not asking those questions, you know? Right. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. yeah. But, but they you don't get promoted that. like that. I know. Yeah. I, I know. Yeah. They discourage that so, yeah. so hard. It's like, I agree with what my husband said in the last time where he's like, the church's greatest enemy is itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where I think it's so hyper fixated on self preservation that it can't even consider trajectories mm -hmm. and for their statement response to the ap article it was so effing like well, i don't have to sense myself so fucking clear that like they should have outsourced a pr team they mm -hmm. should have outsourced for their response statement mm -hmm. because people have come back from getting canceled and most of the time they hire like public relations people to write a statement for them, whether it's a tweet, whether it's a whatever. The church didn't do that. You can tell they just got their little incesty hands in there mm -hmm. and picked from what they already had. And that's why their response is embarrassing mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, erroneous. And I, they seem to be more mad at the article than the abuse. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like one thing. And, oh, sorry. Going, sorry. There you go. I was going to kind of shift gears. You can go. The, like when they say the church's purpose in responding to abuse, number one, ensure the abuse has stopped. And it's like, what better way to ensure the abuse stops than to report it to police? Like what, like how is, how is a bishop, like the neighborhood plumber going to ensure that abuse stops? Yeah. Right. 
and so it's like it's so weird like that whole response is so weird and it, it, it's very aggressive like it's bizarrely aggressive i was looking like for the boston globe article on the the catholic church you can't find an immediate response from the catholic church to that article they just like it seems like they just shut up but then when the movie spotlight came out the catholic church just says like a bunch of uh this highlights a problem in our church. We were thankful for this movie and its presentation. This helps us get better, blah, blah, blah. And I think these words are ex Catholics will probably say those were hollow world words, but like the, those hollow words, I think play a lot better even than what the church is doing here. Like basically mm-hmm. doubling down on its, its response. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And they use a lot of occult tactic that's called like word salad or word soup, where mm. you just say a bunch of words to say a simple point, mm-hmm. but you're kind of like lulling the person into boredom or distracting them mm-hmm. by your by your response. And yeah. that their their response was full of it. Every general conference talk is like that. Oh, um, totally. One of my a last real lulling um, you into boredom. <laughs> one of my last lessons in elders quorum, I had to give a lesson on a, a talk by D Todd Christofferson. And it basically like, I can't remember what the talk was, but it basically devolved into pay, pray and obey. And I said to the, I said, as I opened it up, I was like, so basically this song really just boils down to like, say your prayers, read your scriptures, pay your tithe and go to the temple. And I said, um, for most of my life, I've been told that general conference talks don't have any new information because we just haven't prepared ourselves for it enough. He said, after thinking this, you know, about this talk, I think that D Todd Christofferson really can't say anything more in depth because this is the depth of his knowledge. And it was kind of like, <gasps> like there are a lot of shock faces, but I'm like, I don't think this guy has a depth of understanding that goes beyond pay, pray and obey. And that's why we don't hmm. get anything beyond pay, pray and obey. And it was kind of, but that like, that is the limit of their knowledge when they give these talks, I think. Yeah. For yeah. real. And that's why they're um, so boring and terrible is that they don't have new thoughts. And cause they don't, like we said about the, like a corporate, they're not interested in that. And I think that, so in the book, Combating Cult Mind Control, uh, Steve Hassan explains that a cult tactic is to have long lectures that Mm -hmm. literally lull the audience into boredom Mm -hmm. because when you experience that type of uh lack of mental stimulus Mm -hmm. you go into like a hypnosis state right you've ever been driving on like a country road Mm -hmm. and you're kind of just doing it but your Mm -hmm. mind's kind of not there that's a form of hypnosis yeah and when your mind is like that it's called hyper suggestibility Mm -hmm. and so the only things that your brain retains are like the inflammatory or erroneous language Mm -hmm. that induces fear. So literally Mm -hmm. general conference, I kid you not, Mm -hmm. is like hypnotizing members into Mm -hmm. being afraid to leave the church. (laughs) Because they always do a talk in there that's like, don't ever leave. Give us your money. And then they say all these words. (laughs) They get so fucking scary. And so your brain is only remembering the scary stuff because the rest is like so boring and when we talk about missions every fucking zone conference same shit i literally Mm -hmm. fight 
fighting to stay awake. But that's how mm -hmm. they want it. That's how mm -hmm. they want it. And when I learned that other cults do that, I was like, whoa, wait yeah. a minute. Like <laughs> the Mormon church isn't unique. The missionary yeah. work obsession. Yeah, it's always pay, pray, obey, and do missionary work. Mm -hmm. Recruit. It's a pyramid recruit, scheme. Recruit. You can't yeah. just be a member. You got to bring in more. Yeah. Like, yeah. Red flags. And how yeah. great shall be your glory with him in the kingdom of our father. Hmm? <sighs> it's so yikes. It's so scary to me. And then another thing with like the financial abuse of the church, because mm -hmm. I think financial abuse is either in, it's in the bite model somehow. It might be an emotional control. I don't know. But, um, the temples are like an opulence place. Like it's your time to experience opulence. Like mm -hmm. God likes shiny things too. <laughs> um, it's your reward for all the slave labor you do as a member is to go to this really pretty building that looks like a nice wedding venue. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but those are my thoughts and feelings on that. I think yeah. that emotional control is also red. <laughs> it is absolutely read because they're also talking about um creating a fear of rejection if you leave emotional highs and lows love bombing and praise one moment then declaring you a horrible sinner the next yep. uh ritualistic and sometimes public confession of sins now in the church there's not a public confession of sins but there is a public confession that you have sinned and that is the sacrament if you don't mm -hmm. take it Amen. people know mm -hmm. um yeah, phobia, indoctrination. So, fears, no happiness or fulfillment outside of the outside of the group. Um, never a legitimate reason to leave. Uh, I do think there is one one thing, one reason to leave that I think most of my Mormon friends think is legitimate, and that is if you're gay. Whenever a gay person leaves the church, everybody's like, "Well, you know, it's his lifestyle." Like, uh, you know, what? Yeah, we kind of saw it coming, right? Like, Mormons tend to understand that gay people are going to leave the church, which is why I still, I get family members who regularly try to fish to get me to say I'm gay. Well, we're all kind of wondering. We're all kind of wondering. Oh my God. Well, <laughs> me, me included. <laughs> So, just Bishop because Vince, I, just take the, I wear take nice the cardigans, off your okay? Take the weight off your shoulders and just confess. Just confess. Oh my god. <laughs> well, you guys will be happy to this know is... that that after this recording, I'm going on a date with a woman. So, <gasps> oh, was she always a woman? Oh my god, that doesn't Bishop mean Jensen. that he's not straight. <laughs> I, I had to say it because I knew it would just get everybody in this room fired up like it was like no, this, is, it's okay. this button i couldn't resist not pressing well we appreciate you as a person no matter your sexual orientation or preference. i agree i you appreciate can be with whoever that. you want to be with and, and I, we will love and accept them too as your partner right? I'm, I'm also of the mindset that my uh like my sexual orientation isn't anybody's business unless they're asking me out on a date mm -hmm. um but Word. this is a date with a woman and this is my first time going on a date with a non-member this wow. is like i've been i've been out of the church for years but i'm wow. like okay maybe i'll i'm doing like a real casual dating thing you know like i'm not looking to get a girlfriend or anything i'm looking to see what i like 
And so I'm going on this date. I've released myself from the emotional control of the church. I'm going to go on a date and I'm going to sit and chat and meet a person. So yeah, it should be. Are you going to try going on a gut? Are you going to try going on a date with a guy too, to see if you like that? Oh my God. <laughs> Bishop Jensen. Oh, I just couldn't resist. Just had to. Ask me the temple recommend questions next, please. I was, I was going to ask you, but I mean, it's ultimately up to her and how you feel about the moment, but maybe you'll be getting that good pity. We don't know. We don't know how it's going to go. No, I, this is, I'm, I'm doing things real casual. He's, he's not going to do I'm, that because he's gay. Sex can be casual. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going, quote unquote, for coffee. So you know what? I've heard some crazy stories after coffee. So you just do whatever feels right and whatever. I'm not really a crazy person, forward. but I am seriously considering making an OnlyFans if if that's what people want. Oh I my mean, god! Uh, again. Okay. Okay. If you if you've made it this long, if you've made it this long, write us at unmorning@gmail.com if you want to see the Elder Jackson OnlyFans. I, there I is promise play. It, it will be funny. <laughs> It, I, I think I, th- I think it would be funny to start one and just post pictures of my thumbs. People and probably if, have a kink for that. Like if that's what you want to call, that. that's what you want to call your double-headed penis. Well, uh, oh my god, <laughs> Bishop! <laughs> you have to go to jail. Send well, him to jail. You, jail remember, immediately. Remember when you were like <laughs> talking about keeping it light? Like we got a little too heavy here. Just trying to. This this sh- episode has been a three hour roller coaster. <laughs> it has, but I think we have to break it up. Uh, I don't know. I don't. You know, I'm not even in this. I'm literally a guest. You all decide what you want to do. Uh, no, I you're, should be telling you. you wanna, your you family, wanna, your family oh, has taken over this podcast. Yeah, that's true. Speaking <laughs> speaking of colonizers. Speaking of colonizers here. <laughs> okay. This is revenge. The, it's the, been plotted. <laughs> it's been planned. This is what when, you wanted all along. Yeah. <laughs> when, when the abused become the abuser. <laughs> Any white space, I'm like, that's it. Buckle that's, up. I'm taking We're it. Coming in. This is like, yeah, this is Donald Trump's worst nightmare. It's like, <laughs> podcasts were the last safe space for white straight men right now you're just reverse colonization getting in there but i know we have my my sister was pretty funny about it and she's like we're just grafting you into our little clan like our little you guys you guys are great though we do we need to have your sister's husband on as well Um, yeah make it make it work he's freshly out but he's out hard and, and angry Perfect. as he should as he should be perfect Ooh, angry i want to I mean, hear he's all, like a super chill fire. guy i'm all about anger <laughs> he's a super chill dude but definitely he's got i think all of us when we leave we have a laundry list of things that were wrong you know well so and we all... you know what the the weird thing for me i feel like when i left it was very much because i think i deconstructed god before i deconstructed the church Ooh. and and so then when I left, that was like the primary reason. Like when my mom asked me, what was it? I just told her, I said, I find it unlikely that a God exists. And, uh, but then as I've been out and getting into the ex-Mormon space, I've been like tearing apart the church. And I think my laundry list of things that make me angry about the church has gotten longer. Um, so 
yeah after the after the ap sex abuse article came out that one made me really angry all over again Mm -hmm. um, a lot of things do that for me i'm still in that bad space i don't know if i've ever said it on recording but i will it's okay to have church nightmares because i do (laughs) yeah i have less and less but it's normal i like i watched the movie spotlight last weekend one thing that stood out to me um, this was the scene in the movie where they were able to nail the Catholic Church and not just the priests, was that there were letters that were written to the cardinal, cardinal law, from other priests expressing concern and from members mm-hmm. of the church expressing concern, and they were all uh, they all went unanswered. And that was um, how they were able to nail the church and not just the individual priests. And right. so my my idea... And unfortunately, I'd say my my experience with my state president kind of referenced in the earlier episodes wasn't bad enough. Um, But I think I want to write the office of the first presidency and send it by registered mail and say, this is what happened to me prior to my mission. And um, I, I spent a lot of years being confused and conflicted about this experience because I was made to reconfess on two different occasions prior to receiving the Melchizedek priesthood and going on a mission. Um, I just hope you can clarify policy for bishops and state presidents going forward on whether or not this is appropriate and whether or not members should be prepared for this and then wait for the response to come back from the church. You know, the one that comes from the secretary and says the, the you know, first presidency doesn't respond to these things. This has been referred to local leadership. And then get a few people to write the church directly and say, this is what happened to me. What is the church doing about it? And then, you know, you get 40 or 50 of these letters where people are trying to warn the church. And then you get the response back from the church saying, we're not going to deal with this. And then you send that to Mike Resendez and say, here's 40 examples of people trying to warn head office. And this is their response. Mm -hmm. Now you can nail the institution. Now you can nail the people at the top. Because like as much as I credit Sam Young for getting his 1,000 anonymous stories, to take to church headquarters and do his big whatever. There's no proof the first presidency got that. And it's anonymous stories. So why does it matter? It's anonymous internet stories. And I don't want to invalidate anybody, but in terms of trying to nail an institution, what's an anonymous in- internet story mean? Send mm-hmm. your story by registered mail to the office of the first presidency and keep a copy of their response. And now you've nailed the institution. You have shown the world that they don't care. Hmm. Amen. Ooh, that like kindles something inside me. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna that, do. That like really gets me. Like, man, this is such a s- amazing step to also just gassing y'all's heads up too, because a few podcasts ago y'all were talking about like what can we do, mm-hmm. and then hmm. look at you now. You both have a plan, and you're going on a date with a non-member. Like literally there is progress after you leave because mm-hmm. yeah. we've got a man with a plan and we got a man with maybe some pudding. I'm kidding. <laughs> maybe get the good pudding. I don't know. I don't know. Right. We don't know which, which she's game. I'm, I'm um, sure. I'm sure I'll give a full report on a subsequent episode. <laughs> we'll probably of, of, never know. No, I, so. I'll share Cause I think, it, I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting thing to just, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to be a normal human. I feel like, right. Like I, all of this is new to me. Mm-hmm. So what about finding you like a nice Exmo girl? 
See, that's what I always tell my member friends. I'm like, mm -hmm. I, I tell all my member friends, I say, if you know a girl whose testimony is in tatters, let me know. Mm -hmm. And I'll like, I'll, I'll take her the, the extra step of getting her out of the church and then we'll be married have, and happy. I have a super awesome Exmo friend. Am I getting who set I'm up? Thinking of. I am, but I don't know what your type is. So I'll message you privately and find out if you'd be a good fit. She's Exmo hard. She is um, working on working through stuff really effectively, really healthily. She had to take some time before she could listen to my episode because stuff can be triggering. She's younger than me. She's younger than you, but she's not too young. She's not like unsettlingly younger than you. Unsettlingly she's in her young. 20s. Yeah, I'm not going to say I was like, she's 18. Like, that's weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but Make I'll, sure I'll she's a guy. You. Otherwise... Elder Jackson might lose oh interest. Bishop Jensen. <sighs> it's almost like you want him to be. What is I'm that just, about? It's just like like Unpack it's this. I mean, this Bishop Jensen. I mean, you did say earlier in this episode that your yeah. wife was the most beautiful woman you've ever seen and ever will see. So I don't know. It kind of sounds like that's the one woman you fell in love with, but you're holding out hope for a man. I am. You are. <laughs> Why not have the no, best of both I'm, worlds? I'm just kidding. I'm, <laughs> a maybe, beautiful woman, a beautiful man. Maybe I'm fluent. Who both. knows? Who knows? To be determined. <laughs> who knows? That's the I'm big okay. thing, too. Maybe, maybe someday okay to I will go on, on a date with a guy. Who knows? Yeah. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, we'll see. Or a non-binary person. Or maybe you're into are you trying, women. Are you, but, like, are you trying to soft you know? sell everybody on this first? Before you come out now? <laughs> no, 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 no. I... I I I very much tend to like women, so you know we'll see we'll see how the how this date goes. Uh, if if you Follow made it this heart. far, now you're just getting like the personal life of Elder Jackson and <laughs> is, everybody else here. This, and then this, we really Mormon story this, oh, guys. Yeah. We really okay. Yeah. So I guess um, what I take away from this is that after having like a real thoughtful and in-depth conversation with some outsiders on the, these criteria, it just really like woke me up to, holy crap, the church is a cult. And it, it took just a little bit more than an angry post on Reddit to really go through some of these things to say, holy crap, we basically scored the church in the red on, on three out of four and in the dark orange on one of them. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and the the only reason why the church doesn't go harder on behavior control is because they want to preserve a public image. But I think we've also found that considering BYU Idaho and missions, any opportunity the church has to go into the dark red on behavior control, they will. So my yeah. eyes have been opened, and and I think part of it is is it's just really hard to say to myself, especially because I have people that I love and care about very much, who are still involved in the church, to say. This is a cult. And to hear other people say this is a cult. That's Amen. what's hard for me. Yeah. 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 I agree. Uh, sister, the wife of the brother of Jared, do you have any, any final closing thoughts for us? No, but this has been incredible and it's been therapeutic. And I hope that it helps anybody that's on the fence or anybody that has left but still thinks that it's a church or left and still thinks that it's healthy or left and still thinks that it's not as bad as it is to really process that we're a few steps away from a Jonestown, to be honest. So mm -hmm. yeah. and that, 
We want you safe and we want you out. And please reach out to any mental health experts because to be honest, like you, you might need it. There's no shame in that. Mm -hmm. So nothing wrong with getting therapy. And I am, I am just want to, my, my campaign to write specific letters to the office of the first presidency is uh, in full force. So I intend to write the first presidency directly. Um, to tell them about the ecclesiastical abuse I suffered and to wait for their response. Um, and so sincerely, I'd ask you guys, anybody listening who's experienced any form of abusive treatment from the church, um, to write the office of the first presidency directly, to wait for their response. And if you feel comfortable, scan a copy of that and email it to me at um, onmormon at gmail.com. And once I have gathered a few of these uh, um, stories and responses from the church, I intend to to take it to some kind of journalist and, and get this published, that the church has been informed of instances of ecclesiastical abuse and to show that the church does not take these things uh, seriously um, by their responses. I know that, that I'm going to get a template response from the church telling me that the Office of the First Presidency doesn't deal with these things. That's what I want. I want to show the world that the first presidency doesn't care. Mm -hmm. um, so that I know we are thrown at that out jokingly, jokingly, but this is uh, going to be a sincere project of mine. Um, so if anybody's listened this far, that's I'm, I'm serious about this. So feel free to write me. Excellent. Well, if that is all, uh, church cleaning is next week. Uh, if you could all show up, it's uh, BYOV, bring your own vacuums. Uh, ours are busted currently, and we're too cheap to fix them. Right. Uh, we so, don't have enough money in the fund. Yeah, I honestly, I don't know why everybody wants money from $120 us. $120 billion um, dollars is not enough to buy a vacuum. It's, it's not enough. We want to buy the vacuum company. Um, all the vacuum companies every single one of them plus Disney um, so thank you very much uh, sister the wife of the brother of Jared heavenly who is mother. our heavenly wonderful mother. heavenly mother uh, <laughs> this has been a great time as always and we'll see everybody on the next uh, next thing you do that we do in the name of um, in the name of L. Ron Hubbard our cult daddy <laughs> amen Amen.